Right now with Talk Talk, you can speed up and spend less on broadband. Out of contract on Superfast Fibre? W Speed and save £134 on average by switching to Talk Talk Full Fibre 150. Just £32 a month for 24 months. Gets ultra fast full fibre, average speeds of 152 megabits per second, plus the world class Amazon Aero router. Switch to Full Fibre 150 and save £134 on average. Search Talk Talk Full Fibre for deals that make sense sense. Talk Talk. CPI plus 3.7% annual increase from April 2023. Average saving on full fibre 150 versus competitors publicly available out of contract fibre 65 equivalent on 18th July. Ends 9th November, 9.95 PMP, subject to local availability. Today we've got a story that is from incarceration to inspiration. A lot of fellas when they get out of prison, you know, where I was housed in Arizona, they give you $50 on the gate and say, have a nice day, and you struggle. But... Jimmy James Harris here. I just read a news story about him. And he's a high achiever. Not only in prison was he making the most of the time towards the end of his incarceration. According to the news story here, he mentored around 30 other inmates and gained more than 30 different qualifications while serving his time. He helped prisoners achieve basic literacy skills as well. Then he began to study for an open university degree. <laughs> this is great. Let's have a look. What else we got on the second page? Um, quote, I want to use my own personal experiences combined with my studies to help others battling drug addiction. I've spent half of my adult life in prison, but rather than focus on the negatives, I decided to take a step back and evaluate my life choices. My studies have allowed me to broaden my horizons, and as a result, my outlook on life and my priorities have completely changed. I love to work in a rehabilitation unit as a therapist, and I know to achieve that, I've got to work hard. All right, Jimmy, thanks for coming on, man. Pleasure to meet you, Sean. Thanks for having me on, brother. So you've got a bit of an accent. Where's that from? No, I'm from the Valley, South Wales, Merth Tidville. South Wales. The heart of the valleys, as they say. <laughs> and it took you, what, a couple of hours to get here today? Yeah, I live in Swindon at the moment, so um, uh, it took me about two hours. So I read all this stuff about you, uh, speaking to you on the way here, and it's hard for me to imagine you getting involved in crimes. Was that a long time ago? Well, yeah, I'll suppose I'll start at the beginning, Sean, yeah, and then we can it. just kind of do the narrative. So, kind of, I grew up in the valleys in South Wales. Um, my dad used to work in construction, so we moved about a little bit. We lived in Dorset, we lived in Plymouth, and then eventually my mother wanted to move back to the valleys to have the family support, my nan and my grandfather and what have you. So, when you say the valleys, is this like mountainous area with the valleys? So, the, the valleys is yeah. essentially um, in, in South Wales where you had all the, uh, like Merthyr Tidville, for example, is the well it was at one point the industrial capital of the world so you had all the um pits the ironworks the steelworks and at its peak you had people migrated from all over spaniards italians irish it was a it was a proper hub of all that kind of stuff so when all the kind of industries died out they should have really moved everyone out because there was nothing there but they didn't and now it's classed as a kind of an objective one area with regards to like european union funding it's quite a high, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a quite a high poverty-stricken area. 
I know it got hit hard when uh, Maggie Thatcher was in and she was closing oh, all the mines yeah. down and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She did. She did them bad. She did them bad. Yeah. So you know, some of the uh, some of the lesser accolades of the town now. You know, we've got the highest rates of unemployment, the highest rates of sickness benefits. I believe we've got the highest rates of teen pregnancies mm. and all that good stuff. So none of that's great. But nevertheless, there are a lot of amazing, awesome people there trying to do good work. And what was it know, like growing up there then? I grew up there, so I said I moved back at about seven years of age, and um, I was in a Catholic school before I moved back to Wales. And then, so when I moved back to the Valleys, I went to the Catholic school, which was out of town. Mm. So my first hurdle was then all the local kids all went to the local school. So mm. I was already a bit of an outsider off that kind of um, basis. And then on top of that, I've kind of, <clears throat> I've never been one of these kind of, people who was into sport or the kind of normal thing so when my mom would always be on my case go and play football with the boys go and do this that wouldn't interest me i'd rather you know spend time alone just contemplating and doing different things and reading and whatnot and then so my parents divorced then by the age of nine and um my dad left um <clears throat> he said he was going to take me with me and uh, he never came back for me so there we go. That was that. So you were nine. Your dad left. Said he's going to come back for you. He said and he's going to come back. Yeah, basically, my mum. No contact at all. Nothing at all. Oh, no. It's got to hurt that age. Yeah, but at that at that time, I kind of just I wasn't fully aware of the whole situation. It's only quite recently my mother and I have sat down and talked it through, and it's only a few years back through my um, paternal grandmother passing away that my auntie found me on Facebook. Let me know. Yeah. My father and I reinitiated contacted via letters. He'd gone to Africa away from work, started another family, things like that. I was trying my best to kind of reinitiate contact because obviously I wanted a friendship and, you know, to grow that kind of bond. And he's just not interested. So it's just one of them. What about siblings? I have a sister, a younger sister. She is an amazing young lady. She's four years younger than me. She's got two beautiful kids. She runs, she's self-employed. So your dad left you and your sister and your mom? Yes. Okay. Uh, But my mother then had met my stepdad in the interim so okay my stepdad came on the scene an amazing fella you know what i mean he's more than a dad to me than my real dad ever was and he's always 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 he's never turned his back on me and i've been in a bit of trouble as you know you know over the years yeah but they've never turned their back on me they are fantastic support of our family so yeah brilliant stuff so what was there any early signs of trouble or did it come out in your teens so um after all that kind of happened i through my stepdad was then introduced to his family so there was a couple of his nephews, all a bit older guys. And the one narrative would be, we, we got into sniffing gas. Lighter sniffing flu- gas? Sniffing lighter fluid. Yeah. Lighter fluid? Lighter fluid out of a can, the one they used to. And uh, some people will be familiar with that. It is some kind of next level hallucinogenic. So all I knew then was about, it was the escapism. And uh, yeah, it sounds absolutely bizarre, I know. But now, uh, later on, through a lot of other research that I've done, what I've found out is, is that it causes altered states of consciousness. And through these altered states of consciousness, you can get into things like past life regression, out-of-body experiences, and all that kind of stuff. So, like I said, I wasn't aware of that at the time, but now I know that these are the things that I was I, I was inadvertently doing during those times. So if you were doing the gas, and it was taking you into a different, let's say, mental state, what was the mental state you were trying to escape from? Probably just the whole, um, you know, the valleys are a grim, pra- a grim place. There's no real kind of scope for, um, you know, youth clubs or th- there's nothing going on really, Sean. Do you know what I mean? So 
drugs are a massive part of um, so there's no outlet to do normal things there's no outlets for anything productive whatsoever no so that was that and then that kind of led into cannabis a little bit later on and then sniffing bloody petrol so which, how old are you sniffing the gas nine years old i started and how old are you when you did your first weed uh 11 years old in year seven in school and then sniffing what was it after that petrol sniffing petrol how old are you uh between the ages of about 13 and 15 and what is the sniffing petrol high like so the sniffing petrol somebody else introduced it to me through um just sniffing it through a bag now it's exactly the same effect as the gas but again it takes you into these altered states and pardon me i would we lived in a pub at the time and i would come home from school go down into the basement because we had two motorbikes and I would just sit down there for hours just sniffing. What's the mechanics of sniffing petrol? Just literally huffing. So if you're huffing... You got it, it in a bottle or something? You, you can just do it straight out of the tank. So if it's in the tank, you'd be sitting on the bike and just huffing it through through the... Because uh... I've written about um, Pablo Escobar. Okay. And one of his torture methods was they'd soak a cloth with petrol. Right. Put it in your mouth. Yeah. Strap your mouth down. And if you didn't answer the, them correctly... They would just leave it in there until your eyeballs came out. Oh, shit. So I imagine that chemical is quite strong, the reaction. Definitely, definitely. What I did also discover was you've got unleaded petrol, and then you've also got leaded petrol, which was the four-star. Now, obviously, we know lead causes massive um, problems with the brains and stuff. But you got higher off the lead. I wouldn't say I got higher off the lead, but I was just saying whilst I would, if the unleaded ran out and we were using the four-star, you could feel it. It was a lot harsher. And as I said, then finding out later on about the lead and the damage that it causes to the brains and stuff, I'm just hoping that I don't have early on, early onset dementia, you know, <laughs> later on in life, which could well be a possibility if it hasn't already started. So as a kid, then you're getting these highs. They sound like cheap highs. Very cheap highs. Yeah, it's like. It's did, like you have the, to, did you have to commit any crimes to pay for them? Or no, not for. Oh, actually, that's not true. Yeah, what we what we used to do. Um, my grandmother, my step-grandmother, used to live right next to a train station. So we would jump on the train, go to town, go to the local pound shop. We'd all have a few bottles each in the jacket, and that would be that, yeah. But as for kind of, you know, stealing car radios and that kind of thing, there, was, there wasn't any need for that kind of level of criminality So what was that the, point. So what was the next drug up the ladder? So that was from, uh, as I said, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. When I was about, uh, like I said, 11, started weed for the first time. And I had a friend from school, uh, his name was Miffy, and he used to have um, a pop round. Now, for people who don't know what a pop round is, it's um, within the valleys, you'd have local families who'd have a big van and they'd drive around on a Sunday. And people would have, do you ever, do you ever, do you ever have that back home? The no, pop man? No. Oh, okay. They, a lot of people will be familiar with it. And they've got the Corona bottles of pop, the glass bottles, and you'd exchange them every week for the empties. <laughs> and uh, he had one of those rounds. Well, anyway, through his pay and through a little bit of cash that he'd siphon off the side, he would then buy cannabis, bring it to school on a Monday, and then Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, we would just be bunking off school and getting high. And then from about the age of 15 then, I kind of was thinking, well, I'm spending my money. We'd all go down, chip in our money to buy, you know, say an ounce between us. And I thought, being the entrepreneur that I am, I thought... Oh, what if I buy an ounce and then I split it and I can sort everyone else out and my weed will be free and I can have a couple of quid on top. That progressed from that. Again, we're talking about 15 years of age then. Then this fella introduced us to Valiums, MSJs. That then led to some real shenanigans. Um, got into quite a bit of trouble through that. Let's, uh, let's pause for a second. <coughs> go on. So, first time I did weed, I think I did a hash cake at 
Glastonbury, something okay. like that. Yeah. And I sat on a field and just smiled, and it was a pleasant experience. When I went to America, I had a lot of hardcore weed head friends. Yes. So if we did an after party <clears> at a <throat> house, there'd be like an ecstasy headroom, a yes. ketamine headroom, a meth headroom, a yeah. weed headroom, and they all had a different vibe. Yeah. So whenever I tried to sync with the weed heads, and I'd go in there and I'd smoke some weed with them or something, I would get really paranoid. I think yeah. I was saying the stupidest things. Yeah. And it put me off doing it. Right. So did you enjoy weed then? Is that what was the high you got off it? That was, well, it was basically the only thing that we could get access to, I guess, at that mm. point as a younger kind of man with the friends I was hanging around with. So yeah, weed was our thing. And then um, we got introduced to amphetamines. You never that, got paranoid off the weed? I certainly did, yeah, certainly did. Um, at the time, didn't really recognise it. But did you like that? Because well, man, he would get he would stay up for a week on meth and he would love to paranoia. Uh, he was like... Yeah, <laughs> no, that's not for me. I've... Um, I've had psychosis a couple of times from ones from amphetamines, ones from LSD, and ones from synthetic THC. We'll get to and those stories. Yeah, <laughs> it is not enjoyable. But as I said, I know some people who thrive off getting just off their off their heads and yeah, you know, enjoying that kind of crazy state. So we mellowed you out, and you you enjoyed it in the beginning. Yeah, it was just a social thing. We used to enjoy it. We used to have a laugh. We used to have competitions and who could smoke the most and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But at, at those times, it was the. Um, the, the resin, so it was a soap bar, as we would call mm. it, which would be hashish bars. Mm -hmm. This was before kind of skunk became mainstream because it was so expensive at those times. Yeah. Yeah. So in America, we're all partying hard on the weekends. We're going to like get our heads down at some point, so we're taking the Valium. Yeah. And then Xanax came around so much stronger, so that kind of replaced the Valium. Yeah. So what was your effects of the Valium on you? Oh, you could just lose days. And then the worst part was that I literally... Arguably, I got a bit psychotic. A friend of mine owed me some money, not even a great deal of money, but he basically just mugged me off and said, You're not having your money. How old are you now? This was about uh, 15. Mm -hmm. Now, before that, I'm from a village called Abavan. Now, you've got a group of villages that are all kind of uh, joined together. The next village over is a village called Murtherville. Now, over there, they had a big uh, gang of guys from the ages of, say, 14 to 23, and they'd be about 15 to 20 of them, and they would be marauding around the villages and if they caught you on your own they would kick the shit out of you so a good so we our gang was only ever it was six to eight maybe ten of us sometimes if we ever saw from a distance we were gone because we knew what was coming but my friend archie unfortunately was uh walking to the shop one day uh to get some milk for his mother got caught up with about 10 of them and they just stomped him absolutely stomped him and he ended up uh, disabled he had a bubble on the brain he can't walk properly so from them days on I bought a machete and uh, I used to just carry a machete up the sleeve I would have had no intention of using the uh, sharp end of it because then you're going to take someone's head off but had I needed to I would have just used the blunt end someone's shoulder just to you know I know it sounds crazy but these were the younger days I was a bit a bit less uh, well a bit more off key then you should say rather so yeah eventually with the situation of the friend who owed me money i was trying to smash his door in with a machete they were, everyone was out in the street and uh, next thing you know the police arrested me in a phone box for a machete so that was my first um offense for an offensive weapon uh, so what was, your, what was your arrest like to be honest i can't remember a great deal of it but um luckily for me because my parents owned the local pub and they are very well known within the village I think I was quite lucky in the fact that the magistrate knew us, used to drink in the pub, and they just kind of put it down as a non-specific offensive weapon, which resulted in a much lower, um, which I think it was a discharge, I think that's what they call it. Or a, so did you have to do young offenders? No. 
luckily no so you got a pass on that or one. a pass on that one yeah and thankfully because i know all about these young offenses as i'm sure you do <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so that didn't scare you out of crime though no 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 not at all no so that was um that was about the time then when i got expelled from school so i I hacked into the computer. When I say hacked into the computer, anyone who's an actual hacker will be saying he's talking shit. I didn't hack into the computer as such, but what happened was, because of my age, we um, we didn't have the internet in the computers then. But there was one computer in the IT suite that had an AOL logon. And uh, I saw on the one day that there was a, a guest option. So I thought, oh, I'm with AOL at home. Perhaps I can log on as a guest. Logged on, boom, I'm in. I'm like, holy shit. So I gave my log on to all the boys. <laughs> so they're all logging on, looking at, as you can imagine, all sorts of nonsense. That eventually came on top. They found <laughs> out they found out it was mine, called my parents in, and I got expelled for school from school about well, it was a few weeks before my GCSE exams. Oh man. So all that kind of went downhill. Um Were you I, able to take those GCSEs somewhere else? I well, they allowed me to do the GCSEs. They said you're expelled, but you can come back and sit the exams. Yeah. During which time I was sleeping rough on the streets, and that's through my own fault. My par- my parents were out looking for me every night. You know, my parents yeah. bless them. I put them through bloody hell, bless them. But they were out looking for me every night. They wanted me home, but I didn't want to go home. So during one of the exams, I actually fell asleep and was snoring so loudly that they brought me out of the exams and said, "We're going to cancel all your exams through disrupting other people." Oh, so man. that was basically a washout for the whole GCSE stuff. Um, so what's it like sleeping on the streets as a kid? Oh, well, that's another story. So I was 15 going on 16, maybe maybe just past 16. And the guys who I was hanging around with were all older fellas than me, you know, at 19, 20. So they got me into breaking into garden sheds, stealing cars. We'd steal cars. I would sleep in them. But the little buggers, what they would do is we would go around um, committing crimes, burgling sheds. Then the next day, these guys would go to these people's houses. Oh, your uh, shed got broken into last night. Yeah, it was that Jimmy who did it when it was actually them doing it with me. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And what benefit was that for them to snitch you? Just to get the any kind of kind of onus off them if anyone was suspicious reward, of them. Not a reward or anything. Not so much a reward, no, but just, you know, to make sure. Because they were known for doing it as well around yeah. the places. So, yeah, you know, it was him kind of thing. So, right, right. You know. I see. And did you get apprehended in any of these? Threats? So eventually, yes. Basically, we stole a scooter, a racing scooter, and I was racing it up and down the village. And my dad's <laughs> looking out the window, thinking, "Oh my god, look at him, the little bastard!" So he phoned the police. The police. He eventually um, caught me up by uh, up on the taff. It's called the taff trail, and uh, grabbed hold of me, phoned the police. Well, when the police came, the police said, "You need to let go of him because you know this is false imprisonment." They arrested me, took me to the police station, explained the situation, and then they put me into a supported housing uh, complex, which was called the YMCA. I was in there for a few weeks, and then they gave me a flat. 16-year-old. Now, you know, these days it's all, they don't do any of that anymore, but these days, you know, giving a 16-year-old, you know, basically a, a criminal troublemaker, there's your flat. So again, my parents came back on the scene. They were trying their best to help me. Luck with that, we sort the flat out. And that eventually got broken into and trashed. So you've got your own little apartment then? A little lovely little flat, yeah. And um, you had just, is that, you turn it into like party central now? No, not at all. Not at all. It wasn't a party house. We, you know, I tried to make it look as good as I could. And the thing with me is growing up in school, I had some real good friends, close friends, good friends from good families, but at the same time, 
I was a man of the people. I was friends with everybody. So I yeah. wouldn't just hang around one group. I'd be, you know, smoking with the smokers, chilling with the other guys, smoking weed with the other guys and all that kind of stuff. So I was kind of friends with everyone. But um, after the flat then got broken into, I kind of went back, stayed with my parents for a bit. Uh, more trouble ensued then again, revolving around plenty Valiums and drugs. And I think I got arrested again. What was the nature of the problem that got you arrested? I think it, oh, I'll have to... I think my parents found a shitload of Valiums that I brought home, chucked me out. I was again living on the streets. I'd, um, I think I broke into a car, done a few other bits and bobs. So they arrested me again, and then they put me into another support housing complex. But this was called the Old Bakery. Now, the Old Bakery is for 16 to 24-year-olds based over in uh, a place called Aberdeen. And what they do is you're in there, you have your own little self-contained bed sit, and then they teach you... Uh, life skills so how to look after yourself how to decorate all these different things and then when they think that you are self-sufficient I think I was there for 18 months they will allocate you your own flat what happened with me was I found a or managed to secure a job in T-Mobile which was a contact centre that was built in Merthyr and my mother said come and move home and we'll get you a brand new car she'd already bought a brand new car so she kind of said if, if, if you come and live with us get yourself sorted you can have the car I thought Oh, well, that sounds like a good enough deal. Moved home and, you know, things were good. That would have been uh, 2004. And I was working full time, doing my thing, still smoking weed, but not like selling any kind of major amounts of drugs. And then um, we, I met uh, my first girlfriend, moved in with her. That kind of went by the wayside. And um, then eventually ended up being homeless again and getting another flat uh fell out with my parents and the problem being for me is when there's no overarch like if you're in touch with your parents they always know what's going on so for example my mother knows she can just look at me and go something's going on what's going on you know you're not right but because i was able to kind of stay out of their way for so long that was when things started really progressing then so not that i was there i'm not trying to um minimize anything that i ever did but I was only ever selling to friends, friends of friends, and then that expanded and expanded. This is weed? This was weed. Valium. Um, we- weed, Valium, um, amphetamine, ecstasy, cocaine, uh, and then later on, then it got into the research chemicals and stuff. So but how are you sourcing your harder drugs? You're still a teenager at this point, right? I am 20, getting on for between... So the ecstasy and the stuff started at around 1920. Okay. So knowing people who I know, just links here, links there, and then just yeah. just like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, there was nothing, there were no major shipments. You'd be a, a hundred pills here or a half ounce of cocaine there. And what would like you pay that. for a hundred pills? Back then they were very cheap. So before I went to prison, you could get a hundred pills, well, you could get a thousand pills for less than 500 quid. You know, so they're probably like not very. These would be use. I read in the book that the Mitsubishi's were 125 milligrams. Yeah. So I was trying to work it out because the ones that we used to get, like Love Hearts, for example, mm-hmm. you could take 10 on the head. So you you wouldn't take 10 125s on the head, but if they were about 50, perhaps you would because obviously so that's quite half a then. Yes. Yeah. yeah exactly. I but see. I'd pay I'd pay a pound for them sometimes and sell yeah. for two pounds. You know that kind of yeah. margin. And did you say speed as well? Yeah, speed was something that I got into through someone introduced me to it. It's quite a funny story, actually. So he bought um, a quarter and we were in his shed and he's like cut into two, got his bit. He's given me my bit. And uh, so, all right, three and a half, he had to swallowed it. 
and he's cutting up his, 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 his into little bits. And he's like, oh, where's yours? Cut it up. I'm like, I, I just ate my bit. You didn't just eat three and a half grams of beer, did you? I'm like, yeah. Three and a half grams. Three and a half grams of wow. beer. So I'm like, yeah, you just give it to me. He was like, oh, fucking hell, you're in for a treat. So I was quite ill off that one. And then after that, then what, what happened was I was working in a factory, 12-hour shifts, day in, day out. And for about somewhere between six and 12 weeks, every single day going into a factory, and what would happen, it would be a machine. They would bring you a big pallet of parts. You put a part in the machine, put the guard down, press the thing, press it. You put it there. You do that for 12 hours. I had the headphones in and I was just dabbing speed constantly, constantly, which then eventually led into a bit of, I didn't get sectioned or anything, but yeah. went into a bit of psychosis then off that. In the beginning years of doing speed, it does give you like a, perf a performance enhancement, let's yes. say, yes. before the side effects kick That's in. That's it, exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I had guys come over from England to America when I was still a stockbroker, actually, and I just went to the office one day and I gave my best friend one of them, Hammy, wild man's cousin, the keys to the safe. I said, help yourselves. So in England, there's a big difference between English speed and American speed crystal meth. Yeah, oh, so yeah. people watching this who are in America, when I was growing up at the raves, you buy a gram of Billy Whiz right. and you eat it, yeah. like what you're talking about. Yeah. So these guys who came to America thought the crystal meth, they should just eat grams of it. The same thing. I they saw they that. went completely off the I rails. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah, you lost quite a few people, didn't you, to be fair? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Quite so, because that meth is like really refined speed. Yeah. Yeah. So, you're saying, um, how how soon now before you have a psychotic episode? From the amphetamine? Yeah. So, basically, what happened there was I was going to work of a daytime, but then I, I, would, I was spending no time with anybody not speaking to my parents, not hanging on with any friends. I'd go home, get the dog, take the dog for a walk down the river. Then I'd be smoking um, buckets, as we call them, or gravity bongs uh, of weed. And then rather than walk at home like the normal roadways, I'd be walking through all these like um, river paths because you, didn't know, you know what I mean? You don't know who you're going to bump into and all this kind of stuff. Just real twisted, distorted thinking. Yeah, yeah. Real, real, real not good at all. And how did you um, get arrested next? So where are we? We were the speed thing. Um, progressed from that. Um, was in the supported housing. Got a job in T-Mobile. Um, got my own place. Then I started uni and was um, basically had my student loan and then just started expanding from that. I lived with a good friend of mine, Matt. We moved in together. I convinced him that I could grow weed. I said, look, I've been researching this now for months and months. You take out the loan. I'll do it. We'll make fucking thousands. He's like, all right, yeah, cool, cool, cool. He took out the loan. Uh, the first one was a shambles, as you can imagine. The second one was going all right, but then unfortunately we had um, visits from the landlord. So we had to put all the stuff up into the attic and it was a heat wave. So the next day when we went up to get it all out, everything had just frazzled, <laughs> to, a, everything had just frazzled to a crisp. So like, oh no. Oh. And then to add insult to injury um, and... Uh, yeah, because the uh, the land the landlord agency was around the corner, we had a letter then saying you're being evicted because my housemate Matthew, my best mate, he'd been paying the bloody rent late, even if it was only a day or two, and they were just like, you guys are taking the piss. So all that went out the window. What is the technique you learned to grow weed? I did the organic soil route. I didn't get into the hydroponic route. I've done that since, but at that point, I just went into the um, the soil in the pots watering very rudimentary really so just like 
plants in pots. Plants in pots, lights, uh, not automated feeder or anything like that, but working on timelines and that kind of stuff, yeah. And what kind of lights did you need? The first time I bought the, the it's quite funny actually, the first lights we bought are the, like, the lights they use in gyms. These big, they are, they are HID lights, yeah. but they're not designed for growing. And then the second time then we upgraded and spent some good money on the real 1000 waters, um, you know, designed specifically for the growing. Were you getting paranoid about helicopters with detection equipment for lights? Well, no, or because we were quite lucky because basically the house that we moved into used to be an old shop. So you'd go through the front door and then there was a door down into the basement and the basement was completely sealed off. It was basically, it was almost, it wasn't hermetically sealed as such because you had the door at the top, but the downstairs was hermetically sealed. So we just um, drilled a hole in the top corner, fed the duct in through, and then we had the uh, the carbon filter in a cupboard in the corner of the living room. So whenever, every now and again, someone would come in and go, it smells like weed in here. We knew then that the carbon filter <laughs> needed changing. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what is your next criminal enterprise? So after that then, as I said, Matthew and I parted ways and fell out, unfortunately. Might fall because of the money situation. And uh, I've got another good friend who I grew up with, David. He was living in a in a big, large pub that um, the fellow who owned it was renting it out. There were about seven bedrooms. So I was living with him for a little while, waiting for the housing association to award me a property. So I was on their case every single day. Come on, sort it out, sort it out, sort it out. When they eventually then gave me a flat, by which point I was doing quite a bit but when I say quite a bit like you know there's levels to all this kind of stuff and like I said I was dealing to friends to friends maybe I was doing a few hundred pills a week and maybe an ounce of cocaine and maybe half a kilo of fucking weed which you know these are these are little bits but not as far as the police are concerned so I set up a grow then in the new flat the idea was I wanted to do 50 plants make 50 grand and I'm just going to go traveling off the back of it and then, unfortunately, the the one day we were all in the well, it was me, my friend David, and Rachel were in the flat. We'd gone to pick up some um, weed, but the guy didn't have any. But he had some um, really special um, cocaine pellets. Now, back then, the average purity, even in London, was about fifteen <sighs> percent. So, yeah, and that's on the street. So this stuff was coming back. Well, it came back at thirty-three, which mm. the street level was really nice. Mm. So anyway, long story short, we've gone back to the flat um, about half eleven in the night. So we've got it comes in bullets. So it was three, it was four three and a half gram bullets. So I've chopped one up to a few little bits. We've had a little sniff. Oh yeah, this is nice. And I've got a few pills here as well. The phone rings. It's one of my friends. Oh, can you come and drop some stuff off to the local club? So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be there now. Two pro- uh, two minutes. Dave's like, oh, I'll drop you off now. You're a little bit high. Don't you go driving? I'm like, no, 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 I'm fine. You know, it is bloody stupid ego plays again. Mm. Jumped in the car, went down there. As I'm driving past the uh, club, I pull up around the corner, see the boys coming out. They all run across the road in front of a police car. The police car sees them. They're wondering what the fuck they're up to. They all crowd around the car. The police are watching. I'm like, just one of you just jump in quickly. One of them jumps in. I don't even know the guy who jumps in. He's a friend of a friend. Drive off, police are straight behind us. Mm. So he's like, are you going to stop? I'm like, I'm not going to stop. I've got a fucking car full of drugs. We, we're gone. I said, we'll get out, we'll run. If the police grab you, you're just having a lift. You don't know anything. So anyway, got away from the police. He was gone, I was gone. When you gone. say you got away from the police, how did you get away? Uh, driving like a lunatic. Okay. Yeah, which? How long did it take to lose the cop? Um, I tr- I'm trying to get hold of the video because it's all on record somewhere because I would like to see it. 
But um, somewhere between five and six minutes. Five and six and minutes. Bearing in mind, Murtha is like this, this. It was absolutely ridiculous. I have to own that. Like I was flying down side street. It was half past one mm. in the morning. But that, that, doesn't, that doesn't defend it at all. Yeah. And eventually I said, got away. We run off on foot. But I had bloody loafers on. So I went flying. Now I'm hiding in the garden. Now I'm thinking, right, I can't get anywhere. And where are your drugs at this point? I'm about to get, I'm mm. about to, get to that because this is this, the most stupidest part. <laughs> I've left most of the drugs at the flat. Now I'm hiding in this garden. I've got three, three and a halfs of coke in my sock, plus the other one that's chopped up. I've got 15 XC tablets, which was for the guys who has to drop off on. I've got a knuckle duster in my other sock because obviously I used to carry that just for bit of protection. And about £3,000 in my wallet. Now, anyone in their right mind, a criminal, criminally mind, and I said, you know, I had never been caught before then, so <laughs> this was all new stuff to me. Anyone in their right mind would think, right, get rid of all of this, hide it. Nah, not me. I'm thinking, I just want to get back to the house and party. Oh. I know, I know, I'm such an idiot. So um, this diesel BMW is driving back and forth, back and forth. I can hear in the street, I'm thinking, all oh, right, fuck, 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 fuck. The chopper's going to be out now with the dog. Eventually it slowed down, so I thought, right, this is my chance. So I walk out of the garden, and as I stumble out, what do I see? The BMW. So, mm. so I style it out and pretend that I'm just like a drunk guard walking home. It's like, hey, guys, you are right. So they stop, they look, they think nothing of it, drive off. I go round one corner, round another corner, three coppers. Oh, you, come here. I'm like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. Are you the guy who's driving that Citroen C2? I'm like, no, 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 come here. Grab my pocket, Citroen C2 key. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. They're like, get in the fucking back of the car. Oh. Bearing in mind, they've cuffed me up front. I've got a pocket full of drugs here. The knuckle duster I did actually get rid of. And as I said, a pocket full of money because I'm not going to throw my money, obviously. And uh, yeah, they were all buzzing. Yeah, we've got him, we've got him, we've got him. Took me to the police station. While I'm in the holding cage, which is the glass room, I'm trying to like surreptitiously get out of my sock, but bearing in mind, it's bags within bags within bags. I'm not going to be able to do anything with it. There's no keystone or anything like that. Mm. Um, So when they're eventually searching me, he does the one side, finds nothing. He does the other side. So I just kind of lean down, grab it and go, jackpot, there we go, boys. And I'm holding my hand like that. So they think I'm about to try and swallow it. I didn't know about these kind of things then. She grabs my hand and is like, let go, let go, let go. I'm like, how can I let go? You're holding my hand. Let my hand go. So there's about six of them. Buckle me on the floor. <laughs> drag me in the cell. Strip, <laughs> strip me naked. Beat the shit out of me. They've got me up on the bloody um, bench. Lifting my leg up in the air so they can see right up my bloody asshole. Forgive me uh, for the being crude. But you know how it goes. And uh, yeah, they left me in the cell for about six hours, freezing cold, off my tits as well, because obviously they had a bit of cocaine and uh, MGMA, and uh, they were loving life. You're going to prison in the morning. You're a scumbag drug rat. You'll be off the streets. So I'm like, all oh, right, great. So uh, when they're interviewing me then, um, they're asking me the questions. What's this? What's this? What's the other? I'm like, no comment, no comment, no comment. They're like, oh, what, what, what have you got to say about this? So the fella who I picked up, who I said, who I didn't know, said listen they got nothing on you if they grab you you just say you're having a lift you don't have to say anything oh you just gave the full statement didn't he oh. me, and my, me and my friends were out in the club they said they knew a guy called jimmy who could sort us out with some ecstasy so oh. we met up with him we pulled off the police came behind us he said he wasn't going to stop because he had a car full of drugs blah 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 blah. so normally you would have been bailed on those kind of scenario but because of that fear of intimidating the witness and all that jazz and I don't hold any grudges you know and he was, he was green he was a young guy he yeah. didn't really know the score yeah. we, we know how the police operate don't we mm. so yeah had the interviews had this that and the other it was quite um, 
because I'm sure you know, it's like, you think you're invincible, don't you? Until it happens, you just think, I'm invincible. And then it happened. I was like, oh, shit. So, um, caught them the next day, reading it all out. Oh, it all sounds bloody great. Mm. Take him down, take him to jail. I'm like, oh, no, I'm fucking going to jail. <laughs> so, I'm sitting in the bloody Reliance van. All the stuff's going through the head, you know, Shawshank Redemption and all the other <laughs> films. And I've watched Oz and all that, you know, you've, I've seen all the, the bloody prison stuff thinking, oh, no. But bearing in mind, all the other guys are all cheering and... Yo, drive, where are we going? Are we going to Cardiff or Swansea? Like, we're off to Swansea, boys. Yeah, Swansea, brilliant. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? They didn't realise we're going to jail. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we eventually get to Swansea jail. I'm obviously shitting my pants, but trying to put a brave face on it. And uh, we get in and we're getting processed and sitting in the waiting room and I'm just trying to be cool as a cucumber. And there's two young co-defendants there. Um... And an old fella sitting next to me, he didn't have a tooth in his head, rattling his tits off, but still a cheery demeanor about him. And uh, he says, uh, first time, is it, mate? I was like, oh, is it that fucking obvious, is it? He's like, yeah, you listen, don't worry about it. He said, you'll be absolutely fine. He said, just don't get into any debt. Don't get into any nonsense or anyone. He said, just do your thing and you'll be fine. So that was the first bit of like, oh, okay, that was nice. And then they take you to the induction wing and... Um, the induction officer takes you in and to be fair, you know, he's like, oh, first time's going through it. He's like, look, at the end of the day, this is your punishment coming to prison. You're not to be punished while you're here. If you have any problems of any staff of any inmates, you come and see us and, you know, we'll sort it out because that's not what you're meant to be here for. So, um, <clears throat> and again, that was a little bit comforting. And then, yeah, kind of progressed from there then. Um, they put me into... Uh, they do you in holding cells initially. They put like three or four of you together just so you can have a bit more company and people can keep an eye on each other. And I kind of walked in and there was two bunk beds, a single, two bunk beds and two bunk beds. The toilet was around the corner with a bit of a screen because uh, that was for a bit of privacy. There's a kettle there and all that. I'm thinking, oh, well, this is not too bad. You know, I've, I've seen all the other shows, you know, there's 16 to a cell and there's bottles of piss and stuff being tied up on the, on the railings and whatnot. So, uh, that was uh, that was all right, but as, as you mentioned in your book, like going to the toilet is a private thing, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? And I'm in there, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't be going to the toilet in front of these other people. And the other two didn't really give a fuck. The other guy was a bit more. So I'd have to find myself waiting until the end of the night, busting till everyone else is asleep, snoring, and then jumping out of bed like a ninja trying to have a sneaky poo. You know, it's just it's these grim things. Is there a, dro <clears throat> a drop one, flush one rule? Ah, well, I learned that when I remember I read in the book about the guy saying, hurry up and flush it, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they tell you straight away, just a courtesy flush, as they call yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So then I moved from that cell then. And are you getting fed yet? Yeah, so sorry, I missed the um, the bit in reception. So they bring it in, it's the, the pack. So it was some kind of horrible meaty curry and rice. And then it's the the little milk, the little... I don't even know how many grams it is in them. Like a little them. kid's milk. It's thing, like a, yeah. is, is it fifty yeah. grams? It might not even be. It might be a hundred grams. It might be fifty grams. And uh, your little tea pack. And uh, I thought, I ate mine straight away. I ate my food and then I ate my uh, breakfast pack. And the guy, you're probably ravenous. Yeah. Down of everything. He said you might want to keep that for uh, for tomorrow, mate. He said because you won't be getting anything else now until midday tomorrow. Because mm. I give that to you in the evening, and then it's like. Uh, if that's four o'clock, you're talking a good, you know, 16, at least 16 hour window then to lunchtime. And lunchtime is never anything to, uh, you know, to celebrate about. So, yeah. So you moved to a more permanent housing situation? 
Yeah, so that was the induction wing. So on B-Wing then, I had a cellmate, um, oh, Dinky, lovely fella. But oh my God, he used to snore like a wildebeest. <laughs> so he was on the top bunk, I'm on the bottom bunk. And he said, if I'm snoring, he said, you just wake me up. So every now and then I'd have to kick the bottom of the bed, shake him out of his referee. Oh, what's going on? What's going on? And I'm like, oh, dude, you're snoring. Can you just turn over for me? He goes, yeah, 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 no problem. Did you try and make self-made earplugs? Well, this is the next thing, yeah. So after about three days, I just couldn't cope. So... There were a few guys uh, who were permanent residents on the induction wing. Signs on the door. This is not a shop. Please don't come begging because the answer will be no. So I went in the chat and said, guys, surely you must know someone in the garden parties where I can get some um, earplugs. He was like, I might be able to sort you out to pay. And then he did the next day and they were my most treasured possessions <laughs> literally for the rest of my sentence. Because, as you know, it's, oh, it's nothing worse, is it? Oh, nothing worse. Getting sold up with a snorer. Oh, there's nothing worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or someone who's wanking on the bunk all night. That can, that can make noise as well. I never had one pad mate who used to do that on the top shelf. I used to put batteries in the sock, and whenever I heard him, he would have a whack with the batteries <laughs> in the sock, and that would be the end of that. Yeah, dirty bugger. How many different cellmates did you have over this incarceration? I haven't put them all on you, but there's at least. 30 years, and I probably had a few more, but I've only put down the ones that were um, of note. So I'll go through, like, uh, I mentioned Dinky just now, the store. Yeah, um, what, um, rather than just listening, have you got yeah. stories about them? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'll, okay, I'll let's, mention let's them that. and then do the story. Let's yeah, do that, so yeah. Eventually then, so what happened was, during that time of um, early 2008, the prisons were massively overcrowded, mm. so they were letting people out early with 18-day release. Mm. Uh, every time you'd go to court, you'd end up getting locked out and going somewhere else. Yeah. So I'd go from uh, Swansea to court, get locked out, mm-hmm. end up in Cardiff, get locked out. Then I went back to Cardiff and got locked out and there wasn't a space anyway. So I had to go to a police station for four days, which was just horrible. But then when I went to um, Gloucester, I was in with this lovely little fella. Um, I forget his name. And we were in there one day. Uh, just chatting as you do and in Gloucester the cells would all be left open so mm. people could just come in and out and uh, these three black guys just kind of strolled in chatting away how's oh, things going bro 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 as if they knew him and uh, the one of them just opened his cupboard seeing what's in there oh you don't mind if I have a pack of biscuits do 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 in his top so I'm kind of sitting there thinking mm, okay they all leave I'm like friends of yours mate he's like never seen him before in my life I'm like oh fucking great all my stuff's under the bed. I'm like, oh, and imagine there's three of them, there's two of us. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to get into a fight over a pack of fucking biscuits. But anyway, but the that guy who I was in with, we, have to, we had our mail like every day, every other day. And uh, he received a letter and he just opened his drawer and he put it in with all his other letters and shut the drawer. So obviously, you know what it's like. As soon as you get that letter, boom, boom, boom. You're there reading it. So I read my letter, put it down. I said, you're not going to read your letter? He said, oh, I can't read or write. It's like, oh, do you want me to read a few, bro? He went, oh, would you mind? I'm like, of course not. So I grabbed him. He had about bloody 20 letters. So I'm there reading his letters for him. He's in tears and bits and bobs crying. And then I'm writing letters back then to his family, you know, telling him the things that he wants to do. So that was quite a nice little kind of element of it all. And then who else have we got on the old list? Oh, the other part then in Gloucester, the worst part, where they had me in a safe cell, well, not in a safe cell, sorry, a cell on my own. And in the window, for some stupid reason, someone had made a noose, but out of a real, real thin strip of bed sheet. Nothing, it wouldn't even have held a hamster up. It was just something, someone must have just been bored and made it and, you know, and put it up there. 
So this young officer comes in, he's doing his checks and all that, and he goes, oh, what's this? I'm like, I don't know, it was already there when I came in. He goes, hmm. Next, you know, three of them come back, oh, we're moving you to a safety cell, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a risk to yourself, you're going to hang yourself. I'm like, hang myself on this? So then I have to go from a normal cell, as you know, TV and all that, into this safety cell, which is just the, like, white plastic bed. There's no TV, there's nothing in there, stuck in there for a week. Oh, that was a bloody... Stressful nightmare. So you weren't even going to hang yourself and they were all over it. That's it. But Epstein, they all fell asleep and let him hang oh, himself. Oh, there we go. There we go. That's it, isn't it? That's it. Mysteriously fell asleep. That's if that, yeah. That's if that's what happened. <laughs> so then, more salmits. When I went back to Cardiff, they put me in with this fellow. who's an Italian fellow. I can't remember his name. And he was a unit. Was he? 22-inch biceps. Lovely fella. Italian fella. And uh, we ended up chatting and whatnot. I said, uh, what are you in for, fella? He said, oh, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. So he told me the story. Essentially, him and his missus had had a real big argument. And uh, he'd stormed out of the house, gone for a little walk, and he was uh, just chilling in the bus stop. And there's a fella in the other end of the bus stop smoking a cigarette. And it's blowing through and it's blowing in his face. Now, obviously, he's a health and fitness freak isn't it so um, he says mate can you do me a favour could you, you can take that outside could you because it's blown in my face the guy just blanked him just completely ignored him he said oh right okay give him another chance he says yo mate do me a favour I've asked you nicely could you take it outside please because you know it's, you're getting up in my you're getting up in my grill blanked him again completely he said I'm going to ask you one more time mate and if you fucking ignore me I'm going to knock you out knocked him out completely broke his jaw turned out the guy was deaf <laughs> Oh no! Yeah. So he was no. he was serving four years for that, and like I said, he, oh, he was a lovely. It's not a good one. I know. Going for I know. Knocking out a deaf guy. I know, and he was a lovely fella. You know, he was so oh. apologetic, but he did it, and you know, he, he did break his jaw. So yeah, he ended up doing four years for that. Did he have a workout routine then in the cell, or did he go? To he the didn't. Gym? He just let him. He, he was going to the gym, but the worst part of it, and this is where ah, oh, this is like one of the disgusting parts, because he was a big old fella, and in this cell, if you imagine, this is the shape of the cell. Mm. The door is here. The 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 chair, the the chair, the table, and the chair is there, mm-hmm. and then the toilet and the sink are there. Mm-hmm. So obviously the head is there. Yeah, he's on the bottom bunk. I'm on the top bunk. So every morning when he went for his morning ablutions, I'm this far away from him. Mm. Oh, and it was just bloody grim. And you couldn't get out the cell during you the morning. Can't. No, that's it. Once you're stuck in there, you're stuck in there, and it is what it is. Do you know what I mean? You can't yeah, be helped. Yeah. But like that's what I wanted to mention to you. Those cells were designed for single cell occupancy. Yeah, they've doubled them all up over there. They've fucking tripled them all up. In Arizona, it won't, it won't be that long before up, yeah. they do it, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which is absolutely yeah. So you're basically living in a toilet with with a couple of guys. Yeah, it's just grimmers, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely grimmers. But what can you do? And then I had Polish Peter. Polish Peter was a hell of a fella. Polish Peter was lovely, and he was one of my favourite padmates actually, because he didn't speak a word of English, <laughs> so I could watch whatever I wanted on the TV. And it, and it turned out he had been. He'd obviously been. Um, coerced into it but he tried to get through um, Irish customs with five kilos of uh, skunk wrapped around his body five keys so they caught him so I was in the cell with him but he didn't have any um, contact home so no letters no phone calls but he had an English to Polish dictionary so we spent as much time as we could trying to converse and all that but mm. the only problem with Peter is when we'd run out of tobacco on a Thursday he liked to smoke fucking teabag cigarettes 
Oh. So I was like, Peter, stop smoking teabag cigarettes. I don't do anything for you. There's no nicotine. I'm, ah, but I still I like to have the smoke. Yeah. Pardon me, but he was a lovely guy. He's a really nice fella. And to be fair, I preferred um, being with foreign prisoners a lot of the time. Mm. Because, for example, I had a Muslim guy. He was, a, I don't know what he was in for. He was about 65. But every morning, five o'clock, he'd wake up, check the time, turn the TV off, and he'd clean the cell from top to bottom. And then he'd be doing his prayer in the corner. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And you get others then who are, because you get the whole, um, the hierarchy. If I'm your first, this is my cell, I'm the owner. And some people are quite diplomatic about it, mm. and others rule with, a, with an iron fist. Yeah. As, you know, as you well know. So, yeah, yeah I had a few of them ones. They're I, the worst, aren't they? They are. They what are. kind of stuff did they enforce on you? Ah, making me watch the soaps, making me watch the football, turning the lights off at ten or half nine, ten o'clock, because that's when you want to go to sleep. And obviously, I like to read, so I couldn't read my books. It was. Uh, <laughs> There was a few of those different situations. I'm just trying to find out who else I've got in here. Marwan Mohammed. I'll use his real name. You won't mind because he's obviously gone back to Iraq now. He was from some kind of um, Kur- uh, Kurdistan. And um, I'm not quite sure on the, the dynamics of what goes on over there. But he'd been shot. His father was high up in the police. They'd killed all his family. And he had a massive AK-47 bullet hole right through each side. And he'd come over as a refugee. And then, unfortunately, beat shit out of some guy with a chain in work. So they were deporting him back then. But again, lovely guy. I met so many different cultures. And it's you learn more then, don't you? Do you, mean you understand about different people's lives from you know all over the world and stuff, which is really nice. Yeah, and you learn what's going on around the world. That's it. The, the mainstream media is not telling you. Mm-mm-mm. Exactly. And that is... Because we get told bollocks, don't we? All the stuff that comes through the mainstream media. Yeah. I've been getting into at the moment now all the um, the hidden history mm-hmm. and all the stuff that they've taught us. Absolutely what, nonsense. Oh, sorry. Yeah. sorry. <laughs> so um, who else have I got on the list here? Oh, I've got a funny story here. Is uh, when I went to um, Millstock. I was toed up with a yardy man. And... Uh, used to have all his fancy garb and all the rest of it and he'd be on his visits once a week we had his 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 wife and then he had his side chick so his side chick would come on a saturday well it turns out on a saturday one of his side chick's friends had saw him visiting this other chick with her boyfriend so she told his wife his wife then booked us the third visitor with his friend's partner he goes off on a visit loving life off to see the side chick and uh, 20 minutes later, he's back in the cell, scratches all over his face. Whoa. I'm like, yo, bro, what the fuck happened? He's like, oh, no, you're not going to believe it. Because <laughs> my missus has been... My friend's girlfriend has told my missus, she's come in. She's obviously snuck in, so she didn't. So he didn't see her. And then 10 minutes in, she's just come over and leathered the holy shit out of the pair of them. So, wow. Yeah, that was quite a funny moment. So that was in prison visitation? Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that she possibly got charged with something? Because there's cameras everywhere now? There are, there are, yeah. I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure because like another scenario quite similar was when um, my friend Amy came up to visit and somebody, a, a female, was trying to smuggle drugs over to a well-known guy who was quite big in the game and doing a lot of stuff. And they were obviously watching him. And then when they went to grab them, they, the, the officers have grabbed him she straight over the top of the table, punching the police, you know, punching the officers, trying to protect them so he can swallow it. You know, so I don't, I don't know what came with that, but yeah, 
There's a lot of shenanigans. Gets lively in the visitation. Oh, it certainly does. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And every visitations are different. Like, you know, the ones in America are just they're just soul destroying through glass. Yeah, Sometimes. if you're in a higher security level, you sat at a table, plexiglass. You're looking at the other person at the other side of plexiglass. Yeah. But for lower, for minimum and medium, you are sat at a table and you can do a hug. Right. And a, and a, a, a quick peck. Yeah. You say kiss your girlfriend as if you, like, the kind of yeah. kiss you're going to give your mum. You're yeah. not allowed to snog. Yeah. Yeah. In Cardiff, uh, you can get away with it a little bit. They're all snogging if they see you because mm. you can pull the chairs together as well. Mm. Obviously, if you're taking the piss and they see you, they'll come over. Swansea's the same. In Park, they've got the um, the tea tables, so there's no gap underneath. There's no hugging. You, you're not well. It's changed a little bit now, but before you weren't even allowed to get up and hug your visitors, which just you know someone's coming traveling miles to see you. Mm. It's not very nice, is it? No, no. So uh, yeah, I didn't really enjoy visits. To be fair, it makes you more sad than anything, doesn't it? It's nice to see them, and then at the end of it, you know, you just go back to your cell. And you're like, it's oh, a boost, oh. but then at the end of it. The finality, yeah. it is sad, yeah, when they're it leaving. It's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I spoke at HMP Park a couple of years ago, actually. Yes. And I spoke at another one in Wales recently as well. Which one was that? What, what's the names of so them? So you've got Cardiff, Swansea, uh, Park and Prescoid? No, no, none of them. It's, it's, it's in the oh, north. Oh, Berwyn, Berwyn. You went to Berwyn, the new one. It is a new one. It's a massive the one. The Titan one. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. So have you seen all this new stuff now about the funding to build yet another one of these and they want funding for 10,000 new spaces? And... It's just a big industry they're bringing over from America, isn't it? Well, this is it, you know. Yeah. I've only recently discovered, I might have mentioned it to you, about Circo. Oh. Now, Circo, as far as I knew, only owned a few prisons. But when you have a little look at, uh, there's a few videos online, Circo, the uh, largest company nobody knows about. They are into everything. Yeah. Absolutely everything. All the government contracts... They even control time, the old GMT stuff and all the rest of mm-hmm. it. According to people like um, Abel Danger and Phil McConnell, who are you know military whistleblowers, they control all the American military. Well, the prison industrial complex was an offshoot of the military industrial complex. Mm. So it's all tied together with like oil and yeah. gas and yeah. the CIA and all this yeah. other stuff that's going on. <laughs> yeah, my friend Kit Glover sent me... Um, a whistleblower letter the other day, funnily enough, and it was from um, it was sent to a guy who was quite a kind of a high up in the hip hop industry, decision maker type character, and they brought them all into this meeting. And most of them knew each other, but there were a few shady characters and nobody really knew who they were. And they said, "Right, this is what's happening, guys. We put all our money, we're investing it all into the um, private military industrial complex, and as a result of that, we're going to use the music then to promote, as you know, the Ice Tea." the iced tea stuff, the guns, hoes and bitches, for lack of a better expression, to fill up the prison system and make money for all the people earning the dollar. Well, when I was researching it in America, I found out that there was one investment entity that had huge investments in private prisons and also had huge investments in the music distribution that was telling young people to go out, kill cops, rob yeah. um, banks, deal drugs. <laughs> so it is, it's a money go round. Yeah, that's all it is. That's yeah. all it is. Feeding the beast. All right, so who's next on your cellmate list? Let's have a look. I had another guy who was, uh, he wasn't a cellmate of mine, but a fella mm. called Stiggins from Cardiff. And um, Stiggins, unfortunately, used to like to take his drugs and whatnot. And apparently one day he, um, 
stabbed some guy to death without re- without even realizing it. Off his face of Malliams, <clears throat> woke up in the police station. So this was outside of this, the prison system. This was this in Car- the... He was in Cardiff while I was in Cardiff. In Cardiff so prison. Talk- yeah, so I was talking to him about it after he'd been convicted and served yes, eighteen yeah. years. Yeah. So, um, so Valium, did you say? Taking Valium, which Valium was, psychosis can make you stab someone. This is it. Well, this is what he said to me. He said, "Jim, I've taken Valiums all my life. I can take boxes and boxes and boxes. But with these MSJs, the way they make them apparently is they make the um, the chalk tablets and then they spray them. Yeah. So one tablet, um, or you could take ten tablets, for example, mm-hmm. which would have zero effect, and then take one, which would have the effect of twenty. So the point he was making was now this guy we knew. He said he knew him from the streets, but, you know, they used to say, all right, they weren't friends or anything. But for some reason, they ended up going back to a house together. Next, you know, he wakes up in a police cell covered in blood. He knows the police because he's, you know, back and forth. He said, what happened? They said, you, you've bloody killed Eggy. He said, no way. He said, yeah. He said, fuck off, no chance. He said, well, good luck running trial because the evidence against you is absolutely overwhelming. And, you know, chatting to him about it, I said, dude, this must just be so difficult to deal with. Yeah. And knowing things that I know through research and all the, like regression and regressive hypnotherapy and things like mm-hmm. that, perhaps that's something, you know, that he could look into to actually relive the experience and find out exactly what happened. What kind of a sentence did he get? 18 years. And I was on a guilty plea. Well, plane. this is a cautionary tale because I think there's just a level of drug use in the beginning where you're feeling like the high and the enjoyment and you're out partying and you're smiling and all that stuff. Yeah. But over the years, there comes a phase where you're hammering the drugs and mixing the drugs up and you're not realising, you're for, either forgetting what you're doing, Yeah. you're waking up the next day, you have no idea what right, happened yes, the night so before. Yeah. That's a whole new level, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So yeah. if people out there are at that level, these are the things that can happen like you just described. Yeah, exactly. you, could, you could wake up and you could have, you could have killed someone, you could have done something, you could have assaulted a woman. Yeah. And, you know... So if you're at that level, it, it might be time to take a step back and reflect yeah. on, on yeah. where you want to be heading in your life because yeah. it can get heavy yeah. just like that. Exactly. Yeah. And again, even on that basis of what you're saying, I completely agree. When these people are within these kind of, um, what we call them, societies and group friends and there's nowhere else to go. So they just fall back into it day in, day out, you know? Yeah, it's a hard cycle to break. Which is a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. But yeah, what else have we got on the other We've got uh, my um, when I went to um, we were supposed to go to Earlstock from Swansea. Um, so Earlstock was for the twelve-step program. So I was looking at nine years initially, which was just obscene for what it was. Uh, you know the offences and. Um, they said, if you get that, you need to go to Willstock, do the 12-step program. It's guaranteed DCAT. So do you know about the you know about the 12-step program? Yeah, within, that's what Russell Brand has written yeah, in his latest book about, isn't it? Yes. yes. So within the prison system, at the time, Earlstoke was the flagship uh, 12-step program being run by someone called Juliet Fenn. And the idea was you could go there, um, do the 12-step program and be guaranteed a DCAT which is obviously the next progression. Then so to, DCAT is minimum security. Yeah, so you've got ACAT. I didn't do ACAT, but ACAT is the serious prisoners. Like, um, you know, you've got the triple A's. This is the high security kind of stuff. Yeah. BCATs are just the um, remand holding jails, which will hold a lot of CCAT prisoners as well, which is ironic. So, for example, like in um, HMP Park, and I might not be 
as far as I know, this is correct, but I may I may be mistaken. But what my understanding of it is, is if you're a CCAT prisoner in HMP Park, you get paid £33,000, for example, from the government. But if you're a BCAT prisoner, they get something like ten to £20,000 more. But yeah, this is what the prison gets to house you. From the government, yeah. Yes, yeah. But bearing in mind, you're within the same regime, you get the same food, nothing changes. That's how it works in America. The highest score you level, the more money they get. So yes. Supermax, they're getting like 100 grand. Shit, that's a lot. Yeah. And that's what happens then when these BCAT guys are trying to get their progression down mm-hmm. to C, down to D, which getting knocked back. Because, There's a financial disincentive. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And is this all still your first sentence that we're talking about now? We, yes. Okay. Yeah, the second sentence was um, all in park, which I'll get to. Okay. So we got to, uh, we're kind of getting to oil stock at the moment, do we? So I'll just, just double check. I think they for Swansea. There's different things, like, for example, in Swansea, one of the craziest things, there was a guy in there, they were calling him Harry Potter, trying to molest her. So he dressed, oh, up as, no. he dressed up as Harry Potter, was trying to be out there, um, fucking about with kids, doing whatever he was doing. Yeah. And then on a visit... They had him sat next to sat next to the crash with all the kids. Oh! So I've called a guard over and gone, "Hang on a minute, isn't he the Harry Potter fella?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "What the fuck's he doing over there with all the kids? You mind your own fucking business? Nothing to do with you." Oh, charming attitude, great, great stuff. So uh, I'll tell you about the uh, going back to Swansea. So um, there were a few little scams going on there. The first one was. The guys in when I moved up to the three man cell because I was toed up with a fella. Um, he was a decent fella. He was a nice guy, Rob, but he just would never shut up. And at the end of the day, in, in in a cell, you are stuck in that physical space. So you do your best to respect each other's boundaries on a physical level. But when someone's do 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 do, that's terrible. when someone is encroaching upon your mental space. It's difficult, isn't it? You know this yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. So in the end, I said, look, I've got to get out of this cell. I said, am I either going to end up hurting him or I'm going to end up hurting myself? You need to get me out of here. So they put me into a three-man cell with two other guys. Now, the two other guys weren't there when I arrived. So when I got there, I set up I set up my uh, my cell. And uh, these two guys come back. What the fuck are you doing in here? I'm like, well, they've just moved in here. Like, you are fucking moving straight out. His uncle's moving in in a moment and he's got an ounce of heroin on him. He's living in here. So I'm like, oh, fucking great. Draw myself right into a bit of shit, yeah. So they're on the bell to the officer. The officer comes. I won't say the name, but his uncle's supposed to be moving in. He's not moving in yet. They say, we already know what's going on. Shut your mouth. He's in you, and that's that. So because they were so pissed off with me, they, they terrorized me for about three or four days, as you can imagine. Absolutely. And what methods of terror? Oh, just um, one of them was just like farting below the bed and just uh, just all sorts, you know, just, yeah, just being shitheads, basically. Until the point then where... Uh, farting well basically you go to the top bunk and the, yeah, and the lower bunk dropping so bombs you just drop down and fart on my face I'm like you bastard oh, <laughs> yeah you know what's what? you bastard oh so um, eventually they managed to secure a gram of um, heroin off the uncle and uh, they were booting it booting it do you want some do you want some no I didn't smoke at that point so I was like nah 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 but when they were booting, they are their demeanour would just completely change. They went from being horrible bastards to, oh, we're really sorry we've been giving you shit, but we've just been waiting for this. But by the fifth day of them doing it and just <sighs> sitting there, just <laughs> torture, looking like they're living the dream, I said, you know, fuck it, go on, I will have a go, fuck it. No, no, you can't. We've almost run out. So that was a <laughs> that was a blessing in disguise, uh, really. I think. Uh, uh, so. Um, <clears throat> 
after about three weeks, those two moved out independently over about two days, which then by default made it my cell. So I was lucky then I had two real great guys move in. Uh, a guy called Draper, I must tell you about him next, and a guy called Chris. So Chris worked out on the garden party. Now, the garden party is where they go out of a morning, walk around all the perimeters, and pick up all the rubbish. So the guy next door says, I've got a mate who will come down, and he'll chuck stuff over the wall if you can pick it up and bring it back in for us. So he's like, well, what are you thinking? He's like, well, you get the sure roll-on balls. He said, I fill a few of them up, you bring them in, and we'll split it between us. Sounds like a good, <laughs> sounds like a good deal. So they ended up doing that with Valiums and uh, Weed, but as ever, these things never last long because someone ends up getting off their face on Valiums, fighting with one of the officers. That was the end of that little, um, that was the end of that little scam. But then another scam on the end of the wing, in the corner cell, they would get a mirror, tie a piece of um, dental floss to it, arm out the window, spin it, shake it over the top, and whoever was on the other side would hook it in and in it would come. That lasted again for a few weeks before, as you say, these things come on top and that gets cancelled. So that was the end of that one. But uh, yeah, Swansea, I quite enjoyed my time in Swansea. I was kind of in there, you know, prison is shit. It's nowhere near American style jail. Do you know what I mean? And I understand it's like, for example, you get all these youngsters who will be released and within days they're back and they're like, what the fuck are you doing back? And like all the boys are in here, you know? None of my boys are out on the street. They're all banged up. So it's kind of understandable, you know? It's uh, it's a bit of a messed up system, to be fair. Was a lot of people with addiction issues. Massively. So when I first went in, um, basically Subutex, I wasn't familiar with. Um, but that was quite prevalent to a degree. Spice at that point, which is synthetic cannabis, wasn't. This is like 2008, 2009. And then when I went to Earlstoke, um, Subutex was a lot more prevalent and uh, there was a lot more people using it. And how powerful is Subutex? Uh, Subutex, so Subutex, and for those who didn't take it, was looked down upon as in smackhead. You're smackhead. And I was of the same um frame of mind i wouldn't don't don't want it don't want to touch it because you'd see people they'd be in a mess and they would do anything for it as well thinking i don't want to fall into that little trap um weed was few and far between the old cannabis because because of what it is and um, there's more money to be, so for example a subutex tablet you can get for two quid in park prison as soon as they get over the threshold that's worth 50 quid wow and then you break that down into even more deals that can be up to 160 quid Agreed. so you know the, the money is there it's the same with the the spice. When the spice was coming over, they called it fingers, but you could buy um, an ounce of spice, not a kilo of spice, sorry, for 1,600 quid, and it was selling for 800 quid an ounce. So the markup on these drugs are phenomenal. Now, whose idea was it to lock up drug dealers and drug addicts all in the same wings together? They're not stupid, are they? They know what they're doing. I watched that show on Channel 4, Prison. And the I dealers, a little bit of it. the dealers, like we're making more money in there selling drugs in prison than we were before we got arrested. It's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's all to do with the war on drugs. So what they're trying to do now is, I've got a little note in there about um, people plugging up to get recalled. So if I say, oh, I've got a month left, plug up with a shitload of drugs, go in there, make a fortune or you know a couple of grand at least, and then get released. But what they seem to be doing now is um, 
people who are on short level recalls trying to mm. keep them separate in other wings. But as you know yourself, where there's a will, there's a way. Whether, yeah. it's, through, whether it's through the food, through the church, through the gym, through any of that kind of stuff. It doesn't you know? matter who gets stopped, the drugs keep flowing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So in Illstoke then, went up there to do the 12 steps. Um, you had to land first, uh, and they were all single cells, which was the beautiful part of it. As you know, single cell is just paradise. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolute paradise. It was really beautiful. So you had the single cell business. Would you go ask something then, sorry? Oh, so let's just say tap, tap your leg instead of the table. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry, sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, single cell. I had to wait for a while for a spot on the 12-step program. And um, yeah, the idea through that is to kind of work through the first five steps and all the rest. I had like 70-odd hours of one-to-one counselling. That in itself was the most beneficial part of the whole thing. Like I said to you before, about the thing about my dad and all that kind of stuff, I'd never spoken about any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's it was enlightening. It made me learn a lot of stuff about myself. Yeah. But the most ironic part of the whole 12-step setup was that there was based on a wing called Imba. Now, Imba is um, it's one of the newer builds, and it's you walk onto the building, and then there's a doorway. There are 20 cells downstairs and 20 cells upstairs. But the officers never go on to the landings. They've got a TANI system. So all the people who were doing the 12 steps were on the lower level, so 20 of them, and there were 20 people on the upper level, and they were all big big guys doing, you know, 20s, IPPs, all this kind of stuff. So I bumped into a mate of mine who I knew. He said, oh, come upstairs, come and have a look. So he's, we're walking down the landing, and there's just guys kicking back on their phones, doing all this. I'm like... Like, what the hell's going on? He's like, Yeah, the officers never come up. Yeah, it was literally just a free for all, an absolute, (laughs) honestly, an absolute free for all. So, you had the 12 steps program running downstairs, and then you had the guys upstairs going on home leaves, bringing back massive amounts (laughs) of drugs and flooding the 12 steps. It was just, I was just like, What is going on? It was just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. So, yeah, that was, I did nine months there on the 12 step program, and um. Like I said, the most I got out of that was the um, the counselling and also realising, like, everyone's story is relative to, to themselves. So when she was trying to ask me to open up about things, I'd say, I don't feel comfortable because you're asking me to tell you about my, what I thought were petty things that had happened to me when you, when, when you consider them in comparison to, you know, people who've been, you know, at the most horrific, horrific, horrific upbringings. But like she tried to explain everyone's experience is their own experience and can be just as damaging in its own way and all that kind of stuff. So that was quite interesting. So, yeah, a lot of respect for them, the 12-step program. I don't think it runs anymore, to be fair. And I think of all the 100 people that I went on there with, I would argue at least 80 of them were just blagging it because they were IPPs and they just had to do it as part of their course, which kind of defeats the object of, you know, what you want to do it for, which is quite, you know... Kind of defeats the purpose, really, doesn't it? Yeah, a lot of people just play the system, do the courses That's to get it. the visits back, or yeah. you know, if they lost the commissary, get commissary back, That's kind it. of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. What else I got on you? Oh, so there was uh, the first one of the first people I bumped into on uh, one of the wings it was a Welsh fellow. He said, "Oh, you're from Wales." Chatting to him chatting away for a while some other guy some other guy comes over what the fuck are you doing talking to him I'm like what do you mean he's like that's goatee 
the guy got caught fucking a goat. Nobody talks to oh. goatee. Nobody talks to goatee. I'm like, oh, no. Is that a wind-up? No, literally. He, he, apparently, he was standing on a crate with a goat and a big old train went past and he got caught. So, yeah. Oh. People didn't talk to goatee and I learned that one the hard way. So, yeah. Wow. There was another fella on there. He was um, plugging his phone and uh, he got stuck. He ended up having to have a colostomy bag. Because of a phone up the arse. Yeah, he just wouldn't, he wasn't willing to say, look, he's stuck. And in the end, up, he had to go to hospital and have a colostomy bag. Ah. And there's another guy I want to mention, uh, Faisal, because I really, really think you should have him on because he's such an inspiration. He was on the 12 steps with me. The reason he came on the 12 steps was he was down on a wing called Wren. Wren was like the Bronx. And uh, I've already spoken to him. He won't mind me sharing his story. He was basically holding stuff for people for his daily payment of, you know, his gear and what have you. And in the end, he got caught and he was down the block for Christmas and New Year. And he just thought, you know what? I've had enough of this. Came on the 12 steps, did his thing, worked his way through it. And now I was looking at him the other day. He is ripped. He's an MMA fighter. He he runs his own um, G-Man Boxing Services business down in the Southwest. He is an absolute inspiration, honestly. What was his original crimes? uh, Crack, heroin, that kind of criminality. Real down from... He's from Bristol. Hell of a guy. Beautiful soul. And just to see him, you just think, if he can do it, anyone can do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, sounds getting touched. I will. Sounds like a good story. I will, yeah, because Faisler's a real, really inspirational story. Big time. Okay. Same as my mate Steve Masterman. I mentioned Steve too before. Steve is um, from Wales. He came out in uh, IPP again and he was doing work for GDAS, which is the Gwent Drug and Alcohol Services. He was working with the Kaleidoscope. Um, and uh, yeah, he's working with the Wallach now, the homeless charity, which is who I'm working with now as the uh, ambassador. So after going from Earlstoke to Prescoid, we had a few IPP guys on here, Pepsi Watson, Sean Freeston. Did you see any of those videos? Sean Freeston, was he the one in Park? I think so, yes, yes. I was there when he was in Park. So I really? remember I remember the story where he chopped the guy's ponytail off. So I, when I was watching, I was laughing my head. I was saying, I was bloody there then. So you can confirm this. Thing. Yes, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Did you talk to him at all? Or? I didn't see him, no, because at that point, I would have, been, I would have progressed up onto the higher wings because, yeah. as you know, you go in... You've got the ghetto, and then as long as you behave yourself, then you progress up to the the upper wing. So, right. like, I'll, I won't jump to um, I won't jump to park just a minute because okay. I'll tell you that narrative in itself. Okay. But then, once you've worked your way through the system, then from B cat to C cat, and you end up getting awarded D cat, then you go to open prison. So these open prisons, press card, and there's a few others around. There are no fences, there are no walls. You have just earned your security status to go there. You want to run off by all means run off but you'll be wanted and then when you get picked up you'll have extra time added and you know you'll be stuck in closed conditions but press card is crazy they might as well just send you home because you go there like I said there's no walls there's no fences you do what's called a lie down and you're there for about I think the lie down is about six weeks after six weeks then you're you're on what's called stage one what does a lie down mean a lie down means you're stuck on campus so you can't go off campus and then after 40 days, I think I think it's, sorry, after six weeks, for 40 days, you do what's called stage one, which is voluntary work. So they'll put you into uh, Sue Rider charity shops or you'll be litter picking, all these kind of things, which is what I did. I was doing litter picking like all over these different places. 
But then the little scams there are. So, you, so for the five days, each day you'll go to a different place. Well, you'll smash the route as quick as you can. And then you find the local internet cafe or the local library and you're on the old Facebook and all that kind of jazz. So, you know, you got all the loopholes and all that kind of stuff. But then after level one, you, you can, if you can find your own level two employment, you go out and earn level two money. So you can go out full-time job. You can take your car to the prison and drive out to the prison every day. You can get a family member to come and pick you up on a Saturday or a Sunday and take you out for the day. You go home for five days at a time, six days a week. It's, it's a progressional thing. I'm sure you know about it. It's the progressional thing where if you're doing a long time, you can't just have somebody banged up for 23 hours a day and then just go, right, there you go, out you go. They've got to decompress. Decompress is exactly the right word, yeah. But uh, there's a lot of shenanigans going on in press guide. A lot of Wait, shenanigans. Wait, what? Well, I've got to be careful because in, in the UK, there's no, there's no statute of limitations in the UK. Did you know about that? On what crimes? Anything in Crown Court. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, like um, my mate, um, he was getting out and left me a phone. So the phones are so expensive. So I'm phoning my missus all the time. I'm to text her, blah, blah, blah. You say expensive, how much? On the, oh my God. If you're phoning mobiles off the prison phones, it is about uh, 10, I think it's a pound for 10 minutes. I think, no, I think it's more than that. I think a landline is a pound. No, a landline is a pound for 10 minutes. So, you know, it's quite cheap. It's quite expensive rather. So, uh, you know, loads of people have mobile phones. I ended up getting caught with a mobile phone, didn't I? like a dickhead so and to buy a mobile phone how much is that well it depends where you are if you're in these closed conditions you can spend up to a thousand pound but when you're working out you just smuggle them back in so um <clears throat> the most ironic part was i only had about four weeks left and the resettlement department said oh we found you a job it's uh working with welsh water it's uh like a clerical position 23 grand only just start for the next four weeks and then the job will continue after you get released mm. oh bloody perfect phone your mom tell her to get you some like shorts and ass uh, shorts sorry shirts trousers ties this that and the other and then the next morning my dog got kicked off and I caught the phone <laughs> so I was like oh, oh no one of them ones in it you know how these go <sighs> so that was then back to Cardiff prison then for um, two weeks in segregation solitary confinement what's sex sound like though uh, you're literally in the cell, twenty four seven. Oh, sorry, I'm just tap your leg. Because what happens is people I'm, I'm people I'm listen sorry. to the podcast I'm on sorry. headphones. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. It's I'm like sorry. thunder in their ears. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> you okay? Uh, yeah, you're literally locked in a room twenty three hours a day. If it's nice, you can sometimes go out for exercise. Otherwise, they will take you to this little room and they will just lock you in the room to have a shower. It's uh, it's quite grim. But as long as you've got access to books, you'll be all right. So I did the two weeks in there, just flat out reading. Flat out what reading. kind of books did you go for? Oh, I bought a list of all the books, literally from like Graham Hancock to um, just anything and everything. Really, did I put the list there? Because I've got such a list. Just to, we've got uh, a lot of lists here today. I got such like um, oh, they're in my bag. I won't go through them all. Well, actually, I will because they're important because for other people to work on this because a lot of them were on self-improvement psychology metaphysics you know all that kind of good stuff yeah you're definitely one of the prisoners who's brought the most paperwork along oh well I always... have you checked this paperwork <laughs> fucking paperwork <laughs> but yeah anything on self-improvement psychology metaphysics you know the universe reality 
quantum physics. When did, I, did you read any David Icke? I read all David Icke. <laughs> He's so popular in prison, isn't he? He is. He is. And uh, like I said, in 2009, when I first got in, I read uh, The Biggest Secret. Yeah. It just puts it all into context. It blows it all away. And, you know, people say, oh, he's a gatekeeper, he's controlled opposition. Well, all I would say to that is if he is controlled opposition, then what else are they hiding from us? Do you know what I mean? Because he puts it all out there, doesn't he? Well, we um, went down there recently to the Isle of Wight and interviewed him. Yeah, and I, I think that. I think he's a genuine soul. I just actually got his a pre-delivery of his book, The Trigger, in the mail. Oh, okay, so this it's is like, the like, next new one, like isn't it? It's like this big, yeah. Because I saw one just before I came out, which was a very big one. I didn't get around to reading that this one. This one comes out on September 11th. Oh, lovely. And um, I just read the back cover, and the, the back cover blurb just gave me goosebumps. It's, it's going to be really... It's going to reveal a lot in this one. Because yeah. mm, what I find is that there's so much more stuff now that's coming out that people like David Icke and other people of his kind of ilk who've been kind of established for a long time, they're not getting into any of this new stuff, this Tartaria stuff, the mud flood stuff, the recent resets, the societal resets and all that kind of stuff. And for whatever reason, I'm not sure if it's because there's not enough information out there about it, but uh, that's stuff that people really need to have a look into, which is... Money. Yeah, yeah. We, um, we went down there with 10 questions for him. <laughs> so because the podcast is true crime, it was all to do with like, um, you know, Julian Assange yes. and Jimmy Savile. I think yeah. the Jimmy Savile stuff got the most views so far. Yeah. People are obsessed with these elite chomo rings. Yes. Yeah. So. Well, that's what, um, that's what eventually led to me getting sectioned, I think, because um, I was getting right into So while I was in Press Coid, uh, sorry, while I was in um, HMP Park, I was a listener. Trained by the Samaritans, you know, about this stuff, yeah? How, um, can you please explain what that is course, and how yes. you got that position? Yeah, of course. So when I was in Cardiff, um, they were advertising for listeners. Now, listeners are trained up by the Samaritans, which everyone knows what the Samaritans are. They come in, they will train you up so that basically you are a listener. It's not to give people advice or advice and guidance. It's just if someone's struggling with this sentence, for whatever reason, you know, there's been a you know, a breakup or they're just, you know, they're just struggling with their time. They get on the buzzer, look, I need a listener, I need someone to speak to. And you go out and you listen to them. Some people take the piss, all they, oh, have you got any fags? And then, you know, you think, taking the piss, it's four o'clock in the morning. But anyway, so the only part of the prison that um, the sex offenders would mix, and they're not all sex offenders, some of the VPs would mix with the general population was the listeners meetings once a fortnight. And I'd sit there and I'd look around and, you know, there'd be like six or eight of us, six or eight of them. And one or two you'd think, yeah, you look like a bit of a dodgy fucker. But the other ones, you would never pick up out of a lineup. You really wouldn't. And this is what we know. We know that it's so, in well, I say we, most of us know, it's so entrenched. The people who get caught, people are like, I can't believe it. You would never have thought it. And then, so that was what got me intrigued because I thought, fuck me, it could be anyone. Were there any high-profile ones in there? Yeah, I'll get to that now. So do you hear about Ian Watkins? Oh, my goodness. Right. Ian Watkins, the woman who originally gave the information to the, the police about him... Majelix. ...wanting to... Uh, trying to arrange with, with girl, female fans to yeah. uh, molest their babies. Yeah. Anna Majelix. The, the woman... What, I can't pronounce her name. What is it? I think it's Majelix or Majelix. Okay, well Anna pronounced Majelix. then. Yeah. Um, I've met her, yeah, and she oh, right. she she was like interested in um, 
doing certain projects, let's just say. But she told me that the police criminalised her and arrested her. Yes, yeah. Well, this is it. This is it. So I've got a few things off the back there. Um, remind me to mention Carl Beecher. Sorry. Remind... Tap, tap your legs. I'll tap my... Yeah, yeah. If I move so back, if I move back a little bit. Well, then you go too far from the mic then. I'll just go like that. If you're yeah. going to tap, just tap your legs. Because tapping help. this creates like I a thunder noise. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so um, we'll start with Ian Watkins. Yeah. Now, I grew up with Ian Watkins. Loved a lot. You grew up with Ian Watkins? Uh, as it is in, he's from my area. Oh, he's, he's, not, he's not a friend. He wasn't your neighbour. No, no. I okay. know I, I know friends who are friends and we're friends with him. Yeah. So he's from your part of he's Wales. He's from yeah, he's from literally like ten miles down the road. Yeah. So, you know, we've grown up I've grown up with the Lost Prophets and I've always loved them. And then all this shit come about. Now, with regards to paedophilia, right? Now, paedophilia, pedo means child. So when people say now you'll find a lot of people in park in the vulnerable prisoners unit who are 16-year-olds who've gotten their 15 or 14-year-old girls' friends pregnant and the parents have then had them prosecuted. You see that in America as well on the on the margin of it. And there's, there's no mercy for those guys. There's no there? mercy. There is yeah. absolutely no mercy. And as you say, people come in, it doesn't matter whether you've been tried, convicted or anything. If you're suspected of it, and it's fucking naughty, isn't it? I was listening to Wes Watson, who's doing really good on YouTube right now, prisoner, ex-prisoner of California. And he said even taking a pee... Cop sees you taking a pee, indecent exposure, next oh, thing you're a sex yeah. offender. Yeah, such bullshit. Pardon me. So, like, the whole thing with paedophilia, like, the, 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 the example that I just gave there, the 16-year-old and the 15-year-old, that's not paedophilia. Now, an 18-year-old going out with a 14-year-old. A paedophile is someone who wants sex with a child. That's someone who's prepubescent. This is just my opinion on, on the matter. I'm a, 30, 40, I'm a 34-year-old man. If I was to be going out with an 18-year-old, I dare say, I dare say, her father would be fucking upset. But technically speaking, there's nothing wrong with that in the eyes of the law. Now, when you start getting into the realms of you've got young women now, and this has all been done by design through society, where you've got young women through MTV, through all this stuff, dressing up, presenting as women, you you can walk down the street, see a group of girls, oh they look fancy. You get a bit close, and you go, oh, shit, they're only bloody 13, 14. Now that again to me, that's not paedophilia. Paedophilia is children. So going back to the Ian Watkins thing, Ian Watkins was raping babies. Now that to me, I'm sorry to be grim and I really don't want to like, we're talking about it, even just logistically, how the fuck does that even work? And that is what intrigued me. It's boggled me. my mind. That's what boggled me. my mind. And you can't like, you know, you can't have sex with a baby. So I was like, what so the These fuck? were like super fans. What's going they? on? Yeah. Basically, they worshipped him like a god and they would offer up their children to him to yeah. do whatever he wanted. Was, do that, whatever they wanted. was that how he did it? Essentially. And do you know what's even, what's even worse? Because I was doing some research the other day ready to come on. He's up in uh, Monster Mansion at the moment, Wakefield. He got caught with a phone a couple of months back. And the girl who he was messaging grasped him up to the prison. And they're saying that he is having hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of letters from female fans still. What is going on in these people's minds? It's like R. Kelly. All this stuff come up about R. Kelly. And there was women outside of his concerts with little banners chanting, take me hostage, take me hostage. What is going on in these people's heads? I just have There's no idea. twisted people out there. And if you're that famous... You're going to get a big following of twisted people as well, I guess. That's it. I guess it must be. They're all as twisted as each other. Yeah. 
But that was what blew my mind. Yeah, the Ian Watkins thing, like the high profile. I was like, holy shit. And then off that then... Do you know how Ian Watkins is treated in prison? When he was in Park, um, this may or may not be true, but what I was told is he couldn't go into the main visits because it was just such a furore. You can imagine everyone's People there. want to kill him, yeah. You can imagine and everyone's looking at blah, blah, blah. Apparently, he was having visits to his cell. And afterwards, he got caught with uh, an ounce of cocaine in his uh, waistband. That may not be true, so I'm not going to say that's 100%, but that is a story that was going around from a reliable source. Well, if he's still got a lot of money from his music, I can yeah. imagine you could corrupt the system to get away with that kind of activity. There we go. Who knows? And do you I can't know, say do you know sure. if he was liquidated or if he, did the lawyers take it in the prison? I have no like, idea. No? I have no idea. But another thing, while well, you just mentioned that, which, which is reminding me from uh, Pepsi Watson, was what we did find out was that on the sex offenders wing, before T5 changed into a, sec, uh, a VP prison, which was the separate building, a group of guards were all suspended for running a betting syndicate. Someone inadvertently discovered it on the computer and they were running the betting syndicate, much like what Pepsi was describing of putting people in cells together, trying to get them to fight, trying to get this to happen. And it was all point systems. You think you're supposed to be fucking looking after people. You absolute disgusting human beings. Again, I don't have evidence for that, but that was just something that was going around and people were talking about, and I think it probably was true. Yeah, in Arizona, the guards would have prisoners fight and bet on who was going to win. Yeah, yeah. I think that's always gone on. So the modern technology now would facilitate that. Yeah. 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 And that's not to say that they're all bad eggs. Like, there's some real, real good people working in HMP Park. You've got the tutors I worked with, Teresa Rumbelow, Peter Allison. They're all real good guys. You've got a brilliant fella in there. Um, Peter Forder. He um, he is running the first LGBT football team in the world in the prison and all that kind of stuff. So he does real good work. Well, we had Neil Samworth on the podcast. He I was, saw his he was one. a good guy. I enjoyed that one. I, I, uh, I'm not saying that all guards are bad either. I'm saying there's no. um, good and bad in every profession. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. So did you get to the end of your first sentence? So the end of the first sentence was press card. So we, um, we were doing the litter picking day in, day out. As I said, we would just be going a different village every day doing the litter picking and then going to the libraries and doing this that and the other so that was a good laugh you're not trying to pick up birds while you're on on hey, the you know, come on, Sean, I can't talk about anything <laughs> like that and um, you know things like smuggling back steroids and just it's just a free for all an absolute yeah. free for all up there literally and then what's the black market price for steroids well I would buy them for a 25 quid for a syringe and then take them back and sell them for 50 Right, so, double, nice. double your money. Yeah. yeah, if you're not doubling your money, it's not really worth it, is it? <laughs> and then, uh, so when I landed there, my mate had an Xbox. He said, "Oh, we are. You can have that." So I had to stash that under the stairs every day because if they came and they seen, they would take it. And um, when when I actually got busted in the very end when they got my phone, I'd been there for like a year, and because I'm quite cool, I I I, I conduct myself and polite and respectful, and people don't really suspect me of doing anything naughty. <laughs> when they searched my cell, every time we would go out on home leave you could take out your DVD player, for example, and bring back a different one. So you could bring back hard drives. I had spindles and spindles and spindles <laughs> of like box sets, porn, you know, all, all sorts of different <laughs> things. It was great. And then we had another little fella then, Dave. So down the bottom of press card, you've got a big rugby field. And as you drive up the path, you can just stash stuff over the side of the field. And if someone's got the ball to go down and get it, 
they can bring it back up. Whatever's in it for them is in it for them. And then you could have whatever you wanted. So people were smuggling like protein and all that kind of good stuff, you know? So yeah, it's quite good actually. Um, and then, yeah, getting released from Press Coy then. Um, I got out. Was working on the rails. Wasn't really sure what to do. My mate introduced me to these £10 pills. He said, these, have you seen these £10 ecstasy pills? I'm like, £10 ecstasy pills? Who's paying £10 for ecstasy pills? He's like, they're out and about, trust me. So, bearing in mind, like I said, I used to get them selling five for a tenner. And uh, I was working on the rails and then sort of got introduced to a link in um, Holland and was doing all that. And then that just went absolutely off the wall then. So this was pre-dark web days, but you had private little forums here and there. And you could just have access to anything. And I like to try a bit of everything. So we were getting bloody all sorts of different psychedelics, all sorts of different types of um, pharmaceuticals and... That's when things went a little bit downhill. Then, Can you right? name some of those psychedelics and pharmaceuticals? Yeah, so you've obviously got your LSD, your 25i LSD. You've got LSD, LSD 25, which I think is a new one. Then you've got the 25i MBOME families, which are all these um, synthetic derivatives, um, which technically do the same thing, but some of them are a lot stronger. But then you've got things like DOM, um, which are just uber powerful, very strong, not to be trifled with. Um, what else? Have got? There's quite a few different ones I can't think off the top of my head. And then with regards to like benzodiazepines, you had your like diazepam, tamazepam, lorazepam, nitrazepam, flunitrazepam, which is what they use for date rape. Um, or you can just get really fucked up off it. Um, but then you had the um, the research chemical version, so phenazepam, starting with the pH. These are the ones then where people get into serious, serious trouble because they were taking them. And just blacking out and doing all sorts of crazy madness. So, yeah. Just want to make it clear that you weren't getting used to do date rape because you're going to get a no, shit stomach. Oh, no, like I said. There's going to be a shit storm of comments on yeah, what you just said. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's he what I said mentioned. he was getting a date rape drug. Yeah, no, people buy it now. <laughs> Flunitrazepam is just really, really strong. It's not quite like, like clonazepam is a very long lasting, um, they give it to people for epilepsy. But flunitrazepam, you've got nitrazepam, which is a sleeper. And then you got flu nitrazepam, which will literally just knock you out. So you were on cocktails of these at this time, were you? Just taking the piss, Sean. Just taking the piss, taking everything. I went to my mate's house the day that I actually got busted. I went to my mate's house. And um, how much space was there between your release and your next bust? So I got released in February 2011. I'd still been flat out well before that. And then the door went off then in the November and then what this is the, the funniest bit is that the door went off. Um, I got arrested, was in the cells thinking, you're on license, you're going straight back to jail. Next thing you know, the guy comes, put your shoes on, you're getting bail. I'm like, okay. Go to the custody desk. He said, your sister's on the phone. I said, uh, what's going on, Dave? He's like, I have absolutely no idea. Jimmy said, but don't ask any questions and don't look back. I'm like, you haven't got to tell me twice, mate. <laughs> so I hung up the phone. I still thought it was a trap. Walked out the door, thought, shit, I'm out. Went straight back to the flat. They'd boarded the flat up. No, there was their metal things because it was a housing association place. I had to phone them up. Can you come and take these off, please? They said, oh, you're going to prison. I'm like, well, obviously not. I'm here. So can you come and take them off, please? They came, took them off, opened the door. Obviously, I was getting the stuff sent over from Holland. So opened the door. There's like three or four packages of stuff. Oh. So I'm like, there we go. Spending money to go traveling. And I was gone. So did they get you on a violation or did you have a new offence? So when they eventually caught up with me then, I had f um, four years for the 
So let me just clarify yeah, so it, it makes sense. I got out in the February. That was that, that was the sentence served. Sorry. That was the sentence served. And then when I got out, uh, when I was, um, by the time I got to the November, still doing bits and bobs, they released me. I was at large then for six months. So by the time they caught up with me in six months, they were already ready to sentence me for the first lot of stuff that they caught me with in November, which they gave me four years for. And then the stuff then they caught me with for my um, offences whilst committed on bail. They gave me an extra two and a half years consecutive for that. Mm, so how does it feel going in a second time? Oh, it was just devastating. But at the same time, like my mother came up and she was like, What the fuck are you doing? You've been out for what, February to November? To November. Nine months. Is Nine months, been? yeah. And I was just like, I just I didn't care. Thank I just God. didn't care. At the end of the day, I was looking at it in the situation of You've got these big pharma. No, I've done all the. I know you've done all the research yourself. You've got these big pharmaceutical companies. You've got FDA now, for example, clearing trials for MDMA so they can sell it for PTSD. They're doing the same for um, ketamine. You know, you've got GW Pharmaceuticals up in London. You know about GW Pharmaceuticals? Oh yeah, I know all about, you know about GW. That. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, they're the biggest weed plantation in I think Europe. In with the, the yeah, what's it called Sativax, Stevex, and Epidiolex. You've got the Scottish aristocracy who've been doing the opium, like HSBC Bank, there's the was it um, Hong yeah. Kong Shanghai Banking Corporation, who've been making billions since back in the day of the opium wars, you know. But they were called calculating businessmen. It sounds to me like you've not addressed your demons. No. The demons are still well in it, well within their own. Okay, so what, what um you're going in prison, you've not addressed your demons. What kind of reflection are you having now on your life? So basically, I got out um, September 2015, having done all the qualifications, thinking, right, someone's got, you know, something's got to come of this. I met, I met my missus. But, she, you're, but during the second incarceration, yeah, are you reflecting on your life? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is where I'm working on all these kind of. I was buying lots of books off Amazon about shamanism and yeah. self-development and, you know, as you say, the demons and, you know, the stuff in his damage from childhood for whatever reasons or sometimes ancestral trauma and these kind of things. It's so was of, any of the staff helping you with that? No, 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 no. So it's, it's all, self it's all analysis. It's all self-analysis, yeah. Okay. And yeah. when you first went in, did you just get back into drugs? 100%. So how long, how long were you in your second time? Um... Three years, four months. Oh, how long of wildness is there before you start to rehabilitate yourself? Pretty much straight away. You started to rehabilitate yourself? Pretty much straight away on the second one, yeah. You started to rehabilitate yourself straight away? Because I'd already started the Open University on the first sentence. Okay. And that just kind of fell off the the wayside. So then when I went back in, I knew Teresa and... um, I said, yeah, come on, I just need to get on with this and just do some education. And what's your relations with your cellmates this second time? In what sense? Like you gave us stories from your first incarceration, all your different cellmates. Oh, so um, I was quite lucky, actually. I was toured up with a guy called Ed. He was a respiratory consultant from Harley Street. You can check him. Respiratory consultant? You can check him. So what, he's a specialist in breathing? He's specialist in all this. He's from Russian, yeah, yeah from Rus- Russian aristocracy. Uh, wow, serious character. He came to park from um, Belmarsh, and he's had a bad, bad time up there because basically, I might as well say, but it doesn't really matter. He uh, was basically having an affair with his secretary. 
she accused him of poisoning her because she was pregnant. But from what he tells me is she slipped up within the trial and mentioned what had been used. I can't remember the name of the, um, it was uh, naproxen, I believe. Even So they all thought, yeah, we're done. Happy days, because she's fucked up there. He's going to get out. Anyway, he didn't. He had a sentence. He was in Belmarsh, and he was so desperate. This fella had offered, say, give me 10 grand, and I'll go out there, and I will trick her into admitting what she's done. He had about an extra two years on top for that, because... The paper were paying for him, this fella, to take one of them recorded watches into a visit. So anyway, it was toured up with uh, Ed for a while. He was a really nice guy, so obviously it was a lot of back and forth. We learned a lot off each other. Then I got into a little bit of bother in the bloody workshop. You're not supposed to take things out of the workshop. And I was smashing computers up, and there was a little bit of a mirror strip out of a um, scanner, and there's no mirrors in the cell. So I thought, oh, I'll smuggle that back to the wing. On the way out, the guy finds it. He's like, you can't have that. Chuck's in the bin. By the time I get back to the wing, the officer's like, Aris, you've just had a nick in. What's going on? I'm like, nick in for what? He's like, you just took something from the um, from the, um, from the the factory. I'm like, oh, dude, it was a piece of mirror. It's no big deal. Now, by that point, I'd progressed. I was enhanced. I was doing well. I had to go back to a different wing then. I was on basic regime, locked up all day. So I worked my way through like the Lord of the Rings books, et cetera, et cetera. And then from that point downwards, I just refused to sell me it. So I did have to have them for a little while. You refused the cellmate? Refused the cellmate. Is there a consequence for doing that? Yeah, so they came back. I was on basic for a fortnight. They came back. You're having a TV and you're having a, you're, you're, you're having a TV and then you're having a cellmate later on. I said, there we go. There's your TV. No cellmates coming in here. I'm not having a cellmate. So they eventually then moved me to B4, which is a progression wing then up to the T block, which is the enhanced block. When I eventually got to T block, I went to the doctor tried to blag him, told him the situation, this, that, and the other. He said, look, I can't sign you off for a cellular. What I can do is say, if there are any available for, for your personal officer to give you one. So I just got it, blanked out all the other stuff that just, apart from the sentence that said, if there are any cells available, I recommend one. Took it to him. He said, oh, what's all this blanked out stuff? I said, well, that's private stuff, not for you to see you. And I'll put you to the top of the list. So from that point onwards, I had a single cell then. So... That was time for me. I was working on the old the five Tibetan rights. You know about the five Tibetan rights? No. You like the five Tibetan rights? Not that very quickly. It's because um, I know you're talking about your um your um yoga. It's the very and I will leave that with you if you can keep that. Oh, yeah, thank the, you. The five Tibetan rights is essentially the very simple five movements. You do twenty one of each movement every morning, and that's what the monks do. That's what they've done for thousands and thousands of years. A lot of the stuff now that's been brought over to us has all been commercialized and added on and all the rest of it. So the five Tibetan rites, that's all anyone needs to do. And it's got every single movement. It stretches every single kind of um, part of the body. As I said, while I was on my own then, I was doing the insanity, I was doing the five Tibetan rites, doing the meditation. and That stretching is so important, isn't yes, it? Yes, big time. Sitting still can really damage you. Big time. It's all about motion, isn't it? Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Yeah, I like, I'm liking this. I like these exercises. Here. Yeah, take another look at it. You'll enjoy it. did a lot of this stuff in my yoga, and um, I think that helped, kept me flexible, kept me kept me mentally flexible as well. Mm, for sure. So, you said, you know, this article, I started out the interview, the article said you mentored 30 people. That was the uh, level one and two. So, everyone has to go to work. So at first they put me in the uh, level one, level two. Obviously, I was doing the, um, 
the degree stuff. So I said, look, do you want me to do mentoring? She said, yeah, by all means do it. And then we were helping the guys and it's real nice actually. It's the ones who don't want to do it, they don't want to do it, but the ones who do want to do it and they get that real, oh, thanks so much. And you know, when they can write letters home and they've never been able to do that kind of thing before, you get a real good kind of, uh, a good feeling from that. So that was nice. And then that progressed then to mentoring the guys in the uh, further and higher education kind of um, department where they were doing from the certificates and stuff that I was doing there right up to the diplomas and the open university degrees. As you're doing all this good stuff then, Pardon me. are the wolves howling for you to get back on the drugs? Yes, always. They never stop, do they? So how are you not doing that? During that, towards the end, I fell back into it. Oh, you did? Yeah, towards what, the end, I fell was, back into it. Can you describe it. the situation? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was on T3, which was when everything was going really well. I was the wing rep. So the wing rep, basically, um, each wing on T block was allocated a wing rep. You had to go out and campaign and see what was what. And uh, I was the wing rep. I was getting 28 quid for my job, four quid for that, doing really nice. And then I was friendly then with a couple of guys. Now, they were on the garden parties. So the garden parties is where it was all coming over. So it was all just freebies to start. And when it's freebies, it's freebies, isn't it? I'm like, oh, come on, I'll have a little freebie, freebie. Then the freebies become, oh, is it, have you got any more freebies? And it's like, no, I'm going to start charging you, mate. And it's like, oh, shit. So, yeah, we moved down then to T5, which, you know, we're getting quite towards the end of my sentence then. Um, probably had about nine months left. So they put me in charge as the head mentor for the um, further and higher education. They put me in charge. They made a computer because T5 was a huge wing was where they used to keep all the sex offenders. The reason they were allowed to keep so many on such a big wing is because generally they're well behaved. They don't cause problems. That's, you know, the understanding of it. So to move everyone else over there, they had to up the amount of guards, but they put in a big computer suite. I think there's about 13 computers in there. So uh, Teresa says to me, uh, I'm going to put you in charge of this. You, you're going to have to run it. So this will be you day in, day out. You'll have to make sure no one comes in that's not supposed to be in here and all this kind of jazz. So, you know, one or two people will come in, just sit down, start doing things. And I'm like, I'm like, listen, mate, I'm not a screw. I ain't going to tell you you're not supposed to be in here because it is what it is. But if they come in here, yeah, they are going to tell you to fuck off and I'm probably going to get a route. So just to let you know. But what came off that then was the boys coming back from press code with all their little dongles and chips full of uh, box sets and all the rest of it. So they come and they go, yo, Harris, can you uh, can you put some stuff on this, do a bit of this, do a bit of that? I'm like, well, I shouldn't really. What's in it for me? And you're like, well, you know, I can sort you this. And obviously I had a DVD player with a USB chip in it. <laughs> so we were all just living the dream for a good few months doing that, you know? <laughs> and then I got to a point there, my DVD player, my DVD player packed up. So uh, because of the size of the wing, Every Friday, I was able to just unplug one of the computers, wrap it in one of my big laundry bags, smuggle it down to the cell and spend all weekend watching uh, watching stuff in the cell. But then um, I got caught with that and a phone. So I ended up doing... <laughs> and again, I only had a few weeks again. At that point, I think oh. I had like six I think I had about six oh. weeks left. So I ended up doing about four weeks in SEG down in Park. And then the day before... They were supposed to give me my nickname, which I have here somewhere, for my phone. They just shipped me to Swansea because they like to keep it under wraps. Because the amount of people in there who got caught with big, big, big parcels of drugs, they just get shipped off to a different wing and you'd never hear anything more about it. Is yeah. that to keep the stats keep down? Keep the stats down. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like I said, you know, it is what it is. It's the, you know, all these things are businesses. But within these businesses, as you say, there are good people and there are bad people. But it is what it is. Yeah. As you're getting closer to the gate on this second incarceration, then 
How are you mentally adjusting? Um, well, I had my qualification to become a personal trainer. Uh, I was doing the insanity classes in the gym, so I was quite fit. <laughs> Love that insanity stuff. Yeah, I was quite fit at that point. I was yeah. taking the class. I was doing it on the wing every day. I was doing Les Mills, Les Mills Ultimate Combat on the wing. Wow. I was doing the insanity classes in the gym with about 20, 30, 40 boys. Yeah. So my fitness was quite good. You what know? kind of music you got going to that? Pardon? What kind of music are you playing? Um, oh, they used to bring some banging CDs in. They was it the actual Les Mills music? No, 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 no. I would have we couldn't play them on the um, on the screens or anything. So what I'd have to do is write down all the different movements. The Les Mills ones I could do on the screen in the wing. Yeah. But the Insanity one in the gym, I had to write down all the different movements. Yeah. And we had one of them timers that would beep every thirty seconds, three minutes. And they just had some bang. that music really gets your heart up. It doesn't really it? Like does, that scooter it? and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It really does. Yeah, 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 yeah. Enjoyed good, that. It's a good laugh. So you, all right. So you're a PT. You're gonna get released. Yeah. So are, I, are you thinking it's gonna be different this time around from last time? I'm gonna last longer than nine months. Yeah, hundred percent. I just didn't want to be. Just, just couldn't be. It couldn't be a third thing. You know what I mean? It'd be ten years again. It's just like, what the fuck? What's the point? Oh, what? So what gave you the confidence not to behave? Like you did previously? Well, as I said, oh, I haven't told you actually, sorry. So I came out then. I uh, was invited to um, the Learning and Work Institute to do, um, just to go up on stage and talk about my experiences. Like there was an MP there, there was a guy from Unlock um, and a couple of other people. And then off the back of that then, I met um, Ellie Pearson from The Boss Project, who is uh, The Boss Project Building Opportunity Skills and su- Success who that's come off the back of the Wallach Homeless Charity. They had a big, massive uh, round of funding from the Lotter Project. So they've been doing really well. So they asked me to be the ambassador for that. And then off the back of that, then I went to Cardiff Arms um, Football Ground to do another conference talking about prison education and all the rest of it. And then unfortunately then, shortly after that, me and my missus set up a business. Because uh, when I met my missus, she was running uh, a 300C contact centre up in Swindon. Uh, so we thought we'd do it for ourselves. We set that up. Long story short, her business partner tucked us up and it all went bloody Tong. But the most ironic part was they invited me back to the next year for the um, the Inspire Awards to give my... Because I won my award and then I won the overall award. So my name was engraved on the plate to give it to the next person. And uh, long story short, we all got a bit pissed up because it was free wine. These chicks were flirting like hell. My missus wasn't too happy, so she stormed off. I've gone with her back to the hotel. The hotel guy phoned the police because we were having a bit of a, a bit of a barney. So when the police have come, I've tried the whole uh, free man on the land, common law business. You know, you've got no jurisdiction in this hotel. Piss off. They're like, come with us, you. Drag me outside. So as soon, <laughs> soon as soon as I'm out in the street, I'm like, yeah, fine. I'm in public ground now. You know, I'll be it myself. <laughs> She didn't. She didn't come so quietly, unfortunately. So really, uh, no. They were they were ragging her around like no. She's a small woman as well, you know, and they were ragging her around like no one's business. So I'm kicking the door. Get your get your get your hands off my missus. They came out, opened the door. CS gassed me, uh, locked me up. So that this was um, July last year. So um, yeah, the next day then in the police station, uh, got charged for. Um, public order and common assault I'm like common assault on a police officer because I thought that's what happened no on your missus I'm like on my missus I'm like have you even spoken to my missus like no no we don't even need to speak to your missus 
So um, they wouldn't speak to her. Anyway, I went to the CPS. Uh, I had to obviously bring my probation officer the next day and say, look, this is what's happened. He's good as gold. He's cool about it. He said, look, I know what you've been doing. I know all your achievements and all the rest of it. Like, let it go to court, see what happens, and then we'll take it from there. So uh, in the meantime, they've, they've recalled me, but because I'm living in Swindon, it's the Welsh police. And the Swindon police, I, I spoke to my probation officer and said, look, what's going on? He said, well, the thing is, Jim, I can't do anything until you hand yourself into custody. He said, but I've got a letter you're supporting release. I'm like, right, so you want me to hand myself into custody for you to hand in a letter to support my release? I said, this is bullshit. I'm, run- I'm running a business from home. I'm supporting my missus. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So eventually then ended up stress, all the other bits and bobs got sectioned and then got locked up then in the December. So I was sectioned for six days. What's getting sectioned like? You're putting in a mental hospital. <sighs> Section was very unpleasant, Sean. Very unpleasant. So I'll... I'll Give it to you in a bit of a nutshell. I won't, I won't drag it out. No, no, go into length if you want. I um basically, I've always smoked weed. Love smoking weed, but my chest's not very well. You know what I mean. My chest's not been good for years, so I got introduced to um, THC vaping oil, which is far less um, far less nasty on the chest. So when we set up the contact center, and then that ended up shutting down. I was lucky enough to be able to retain one of our clients, um, which was lead generation for a van company. Nice little number, just a little 20 grand basic, but I would make then um, commission of every van I sold. So there's me just working from home. Well, while I'm working from home, I'm obviously vaping constantly at night because I've got no one to answer to. I'm not stoned off my tits or anything like that. I was vaping it all day, every day. In the meantime, I'm on speaking to my probation officer saying, look, I'm in the flat. I'm in my house. Not a flat. I live with my missus. I'm in my house. If you want to come and arrest me, come and arrest me. But I'm not handing myself in. This is bullshit. This needs to be sorted out. So bearing in mind, I'm right into the home office. I'm right into my local MP. I'm right into my local assembly member. The local MP came back with, we do not interfere with the judiciary. Great. You're a great help. Thanks very much for that. So that's how it was. I was trying to write back and forth to the um, to the home office just to try and get some resolution. But they don't care. They want you, once these things happen, they want you banged up and you can deal with it while you're inside. So by the December, then I ended up getting sectioned and um, I was in the hospital. They wouldn't accept me anywhere in Swindon. Um, I went from one hospital to another, to another, to another. I got um, like about 12 different police officers had to come in and rush me put me in the back of a van in about half past one in the morning, take me to the Royal Glam in... What was the reason for rushing you? Because I was just psychotic. I was... I thought they were going to kill me. That's what I thought. My, um... This, um... This stuff called targeted individuals. I don't know if you know about that. But, um... There's a person, if anyone's interested in looking into targeted individuals, don't watch the BBC documentary on it because it just... It's a piss take and it just makes people look like idiots. If you're going to look into targeted individuals, look at Catherine Horton, who is um, a research fellow from Cambridge University. She um, has got a master's in uh, nuclear physics and she's got a uh, PhD in high energy physics. Point being is she knows Iranian, she knows her shit. And what happened was the stuff that she was finding through her work in science I was trying to expose. They were saying, you need to fucking keep this quiet because they didn't, it doesn't fit in with the narrative of what we know, free energy and different things like that. So with these targeted individuals, 
There's so many different different things. I know it sounds a bit crazy, but there's so many different things that they can do with regards to all this 5G, 4G, voice to skull technology. It all sounds a bit crazy, but I've got lots of different videos on my YouTube channel of people talking about it. Yeah, David Ike talks about it. Yeah. So in yeah. your in your um when you're in the mental hospital, you thought they were using those techniques to kill you. Is that what you're saying? Basically, before we get to that point, mm. um I'm I'm in about seventeen different newspapers from uh basically running down the street bollock naked. Oh. Uh, yeah. I was having voices coming through saying about saying things about my missus, saying if she leaves you on your own, you have to go. It was all this crazy shit. She disappeared and I literally just stripped off and ran down the street by. But what it was, Sean, it was as if I was a um a secondary observer to the experience. As if like this was happening to me and I was it wasn't me doing it, it was a secondary observer position. So anyway, um after running down the street and the police came and getting arrested, like I said, they took me to the hospital, they took me to here, they took me to there, then they took me to the Royal Glam. They took about 12 of them, held me down, force injected me. <laughs> now, I've got all my paperwork there. Basically, uh, over about six days, I seemed to be all right. <clears throat> Pardon me. There was some comments. that door, let some fresh air in. Thanks. There were some comments about um, uh, still exhibiting symptoms of grandiose and psychosis and whatnot. But then the next day, they said, oh, um, they interviewed me and said, how are you feeling? And I said, well, I think it's all just been a bit of a dream, a bit of a, you know, drug-induced psychosis, smoking this stuff. I'm feeling a lot better now. All right, then we're going to release you. All right, and they released me straight to prison where they sent me to um, solitary confinement for two months. So I stuck from being in a hospital into solitary confinement for two months, refused all medication, didn't go outside for two months, and then eventually I came around on my own. But during that period, yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on and... I won't get into details because obviously a lot of it does sound absolutely bonkers and I don't want to get sectioned again. But uh, yeah, some right shenanigans, should we say. So that case then, did you, um, is that case closed now? You've done your time on that one. With regards to they my prison to stitch, sentence. stitch you up for the hotel activity. All done. I'm clear now. I was on license until the 16th of June. 16th of June yeah. this year? Yes. Okay. So I'm a free wow, man. Wow, this now. is really recent, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So now, how are you holding it together? Well, at the moment, I've got a video on my YouTube channel from... Um, What's your YouTube channel? What's your name? It's, it's, um, do you want any subscribers? I, the thing is, I'm not <laughs> looking to... My missus keeps saying, you should you should do it. She's been saying to me, Fred, you should do it because I'm into <laughs> everything I like to do. I'm not looking to do like what Pepsi's done or anything mm. like that. But what I like to do on mine is I've got my own personal stuff on there. And then in my playlist... I just like to put all the stuff that I've learned and all the videos that I find of, inf of interest. Well, some people will be interested in that and they might want to click over. What, what is your YouTube uh, name? I'll have to send you the link on there because it's um, it's just a code, isn't it? Until you've got over 100 subscribers, like yours is Derek 80, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah. Until you've got over 100 subscribers, it's just a code. So what okay. I'll do... We'll put the link below I'll the send you a few in the video below the description box. Yeah. I'll send you a few different links if that's okay. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. of course. Because, like I said, in 2017, I did the video... Because in 2017, towards the end of it, that was when I was looking to crowdfund the flotation business. For um, I want to make a flotation and discovery center. So ironically, even doing that, that was a two-hour video. And during that video, me and Joe were talking about people having uh, like spiritual awakening, psychosis. You're talking about flotation tanks now, like the stuff Joe Rogan talks about. I did. I went to the London flotation center. I did the tank. Floatworks, yeah. 
Yeah, it's amazing. That's what I want to do, brother. That's my business. That's yeah. my idea because there's a lot more to it. It's very realize. science fiction. There's a lot more you to put it. Put you in the realize. room. You, you get naked and you get in, and they close it. Yeah, like the tank, and then you're um, it goes dark, or you can have it a little bit light, and then the music comes on. Yeah, if you feel like you're in the sky almost, like you just like zero gravity. You're just floating around in the sky yeah. or something. I want to do a variation of different types. So, like, you've got the sensory deprivation tank there, mm. which is, like, completely sensory deprivation, no light, no sound or anything. But for people who, for that, seems a little bit daunting, you can just have open tanks where you could do just the relaxation and the flotation. Yeah, because different elements to would it. get claustrophobic in a closed tank, so yeah. you wouldn't do it. I offered to get it for her. But I think it is a great way to relax. Yeah. I was so chilled out afterwards. I just sat on a bench and watched the water. Yeah. Um, so is that your focus now then? That's my focus now, yeah. Basically, I've got um, a podcast on Friday with a friend of mine, Harry Martadine. And basically, what I want, I think what I need to do is get these books out first, use that to make the money for the charity for the PET and the Boss Project, keep things in order, do that, and then off the back of that, then hopefully do a crowdfunding campaign for the uh, flotation stuff. So how can people watching this video help you and support you? Well, what I think I'll do if it's just, okay. just at least find out what you, your latest. Yeah, I think what I'll do if it's is. okay is I will just send you the um, the link to the homepage for the book, and then if they want to subscribe to that, then hopefully I can build up a little bit of a. And an do you want to just say what this book is about? The book is essentially just my experience of seven years in eight prisons. So I'm going to break. Like I read, I told you I read. Um, did, 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 did Jeffrey Archer's first. Oh, yeah, his, his little, prison diaries. His little trilogies, and there's uh, a few little funny bits in there that he's adopted of his own. And then I come out, I saw yours. Have you seen the Chemsex trilogy? Mm -mm. That's another one. So it was yours, the Chemsex trilogy, and his one. So I thought, yeah, I'm definitely on to win a year. Like I said, I've done 50, 60,000 words, and I'm only just nearly 18 months into seven years. So, yeah. What about your old friends that you did drugs with and crimes with? I don't see any of them. I moved from um, Merthyr to Swindon in 2016, and uh, I only stay in touch with one friend, my mate Johnson. He's going to be, be uh, my friend for life. But yeah, apart from him, I don't see anyone else. And your girlfriend now, is that the lady that you had the situation with in the hotel? Yeah. yeah. And is she helping keep you grounded? She's got as gold, yeah. Good, yeah, she's good. got as gold. Yeah. Wow, what a story, man. It's like so fresh and... Um... You know, I just hope that um, this flotation business works out for you. Fingers crossed. It's such a positive thing for people to be doing. Well, that's what I think. I think because, like I said about, you know, I don't have a phone anymore and I've mm. got rid of my laptop. It's because I was just addicted to it. Mm. We're so embroiled in this five sensory kind of reality. You need to come away from that because we're just going down this path and this path is not leading us into a good place. Not at all. And we need it, don't get me wrong, doing the things that we're doing. We don't know. I'm not a Luddite by any stretch of the imagination. I know we need tech, but we also need to have that balance of coming away from it and having that relaxation. And what I have found is that people who can go into flotation experiences are much like DMT, where you're having entity contact or whatever you want to call it. They're having stuff that's coming through from those flotation experiences that's allowing them to grow massively as individuals. So that's what we need more of holistic highs. Is there anything you would like to say to the people watching this in conclusion? Well, with regards to holistic highs, yeah, the other part of the flotation stuff is the brain entrainment technology. Now, brain entrainment technology, you've got the Lucia light, the Ajna light, and the um, Pandora's star 
from London, which is Tower Archimedes. Now, these things are light LEDs which flash in sequences and they induce altered states of consciousness. <laughs> I'll send you two videos uh, when I get back this evening. And literally, it's almost like having DMT experiences without having to take DMT. Wow. And the, this is the stuff that I want to work towards. Yeah. The only problem I've got is with my two-hour video that I made with Joe, it's quite long. So when people go on there, people don't have time to sit and watch two hours. What I need to do is get some uh, video editing software and break it down into the different sections of what we're discussing so people can just go in and watch the little bits. Cool. All right, brother. Thanks for coming on, man. My pleasure, brother. Thank you, brother. Much appreciated. Yeah, brilliant. Right now with Talk Talk, you can speed up and spend less on broadband. Out of contract on Superfast Fibre? W Speed and save £134 on average by switching to Talk Talk Full Fibre 150. Just £32 a month for 24 months. Gets ultra fast full fibre, average speeds of 152 megabits per second, plus the world class Amazon Aero router. Switch to Full Fibre 150 and save £134 on average. Search Talk Talk Full Fibre for deals that make sense sense. Talk Talk. CPI plus 3.7% annual increase from April 2023. Average saving on full fibre 150 versus competitors publicly available out of contract fibre 65 equivalent on 18th July. Ends 9th November, 9.95 PMP, subject to local availability. Can the men follow in the lioness's footsteps? Now we go live to Downing Street. You can't put a price on history, but you can get a 43% discount. Subscribe to the award-winning Guardian and Observer newspapers to uncover world-defining moments from politics, sports and more for just one fifty-eight per issue. Search Guardian newspaper subscriptions to learn more. Offer ends 1st of November 2022. Open to UK and NI residents aged 18+. For full subscription terms and conditions, visit theguardian.com slash subscription slash terms.